right for the late start here. Love Talk Radio. NASCAR and Race Talk Review of Charlotte and Meridian. Uh, and we will get, we apologize, first of all, for the little bit of a late start here. Uh, for some reason, I was having a lot of difficulty uh, getting into the studio here at uh, Blog Talk Radio. So we are now on air. And uh, just to give you an overview of uh, tonight's show, we're going to maybe a couple of highlights uh, from the weekend of racing here uh, at 8:40, we do have a guest coming on board, Nick Sanchez from Rev Racing, part of the Drive for Diversity program. Will be coming on board. He had his last race of the season this weekend at Langley Speedway, and he celebrated with a victory uh, at the end of the day. That's in the NASCAR Wheel and All American Series. So we'll look forward to talking with Nick Sanchez about his season and winning at Langley this weekend. At 9 o'clock, we have Camden Pro Series West driver Derek Krause coming on board. He's with Bill McAnally Racing. He's currently leading the series point standings, and um, now with three races left, uh, he won the race at Meridian Speedway this past Saturday. So we'll talk to Derek about his season and winning at Meridian Speedway on Saturday. Uh, and then uh, after that, we'll do a review of the Canon Pro Series race at Meridian Speedway. And uh, then we will get into uh, the review of the two races at the Charlotte Roval this weekend with the Xfinity Series at 9.30 and at uh, 9.45, we'll get into the Cup Series at the Roval. At 10 o'clock, of course, is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and uh, we have a lot to talk about there uh, during our 10 o'clock half hour when our uh, co-host Jay Huseman, uh, I'm sorry, co-host Anthony Lasky comes on board along with Jay Huseman as uh, we discuss all the hot topics from the weekend of racing. Joining me now is our co-host, Sal Fagala. I'm getting a loop here, Sal. Oh, there you go. Sal, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Sharon. I've been trying to call for like the last six, seven minutes, and for some reason it wasn't going through. I know. I had a hard time calling in, too. I, I don't know what the problem was, but I had to call about ten times before I finally was able to get in. So, again, we apologize to our listeners for the late start, but there were some technical issues. Uh, just get into the show here tonight. So, uh, Sal, I've gone through the review of the evening. Uh, let's talk about the highlights uh, from the uh, Canon Pro Series and NASCAR's uh, Xfinity Series and Cup Series races this 
weekend. Uh, any thoughts about your highlights from those three races? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm not going to even touch on the Can-Am series. I'll touch more on the on the Cup series and the and of course oh, okay. the talk of the you know the talk of the town. Of course, was was the performance by Chase Elliott. I mean, that was that was amazing, <laughs> an amazing run to crash and and still win, and still have the dominant car. You know, even though he had you know a little bit of damage on the hood and stuff like that, everybody thought he was out of it. But you know that wasn't the case. I think Chase Elliott, if he didn't already have a lot of fans, which we know he does, uh, probably gained some more fans uh, this weekend out at Charlotte with that run. It was an impressive run. Uh, I thought Kevin Harvick had that race wrapped up, uh, but Chase Elliott uh, really went after it and uh, came up the winner in the end. Uh, And also um, some some, uh, amazing runs. Uh, throughout the field, I thought the four drivers, or three drivers in particular, that were on that bubble just raced their hearts out to be uh, on the out inside versus the outside. Of course, uh, of those three drivers, two had to be on the outside. Only one could make it in, and that one was Alex Bowman, uh, and he just did an amazing job. Yeah, that was, that was pretty amazing. You know, you know he, you know, there was no way he was going to be chased, you know, but he still held on to that second spot. But it was going on, to, you know, at the back of the field, you know, and to see, um, gosh, I forget the, the driver who made that, he, who made a mistake with like two to go. And um, I think that's when, yeah. was, it, was it Al Morella? It was Al Morella who made the mistake. Someone that, you know, you didn't think he'd make a mistake, you know, being a road course guy. You know, I think with two right. to go, well, he, the locked other guy the, he locked the it up. The mistake was... Um was uh, Ryan Newman when he went outside the uh, his four tires went outside the chicane. Oh yeah, and he had yeah, to uh, too, yeah. go with the penalty. Oh, yeah, so Ryan Newman, I know, was <laughs> devastated, but he's uh, veteran enough. He knows there'll be another opportunity next season. And uh, boy, I, it was a hot day. A lot of those drivers were dehydrated. Uh, and really, uh, at the end of the day, it was hot, and those guys had to keep their focus in order to race their hearts out to be inside. And like I say, only one of them could do it in the end. Now, coming up next, Sal, we do have our um, guest coming on board, Nick Sanchez. He's been on sh- on the show with us before. He's with Rev Racing and part of the Driver Diversity Program with that organization. He closed up his season uh, in the NASCAR Wheel and All-American Series uh, this weekend at Langley Speedway. And what a way to close out the season with a victory. So uh, we'll be looking forward to chatting with him coming up here in just another minute or so. Hmm, that was interesting. Sounds like it's going to be a good interview. Well, I hope so. I mean, uh, Nick Sanchez, uh, he's uh, he's uh, been a driver diversity uh, driver there at Rev Racing for the last couple of seasons. This, I think, is his third season. Uh, and uh, he's, he had a pretty good season in that NASCAR Wheel and All-American Series. Um, he's from Florida, and uh, he, he raced uh, in several races, uh, at several tracks, including Myrtle Beach uh, in Florida, Langley Speedway, Hickory Motor Speedway, uh, were the three tracks that he raced at most throughout the season. 
And um, uh, again, I think he had two wins, Sal. He won at uh, Myrtle Beach in June, June 29th, and then uh, also won at Langley Speedway this weekend. So I know he had at least two victories on the season in his NASCAR Wheel and All-American Series. He also raced a couple of races in the Canon Pro Series. I was trying to find out if he uh, is going to race this weekend in the Canon Pro Series at Dover. Uh, And I guess we'll have to ask him that question here in just a few minutes. Uh, We're trying to bring him into the queue. I'm assuming he had the same problems that we had trying to get into the show uh, and uh, I believe I have him in the queue now. Welcome to the show, Nick Sanchez. Hello, Nick. Hi, how are you guys doing? We're doing great. Uh, real excited to have you on the show here. Uh, uh, you had uh, a great season with Rev Racing and the Driver Diversity Program in the NASCAR Wheel and All American Series this season, racing in three different tracks, including uh, uh, Myrtle Beach, Hickory Motor Speedway, and Langley Speedway. You had wins at two of those tracks, including Myrtle Beach uh, in June, and then the final race of the season at Langley Speedway this weekend. Congratulations. Do we still have you here, Nick? Is he there? Yeah, here we are. I can hear you now. No, that's me, Sharon. Can you hear me? Oh, that's Sal. It's Sal. Nick, it's are you Sal. there? Oh, that's you. Yeah, okay, that's me. Okay, let me see if I can do Okay, let me try again. Okay, I know we've been having some trouble with people getting into the show here tonight. Nick, this is Sharon from Fan for Racing. Can you hear me? Uh, you might have to do it. Nick? You might have to do what I did, Sharon. You might have to hang up and call back. That's what I did. Yeah, Nick, this is Sharon from Fan for Racing. Can you hear me? Whoops. I'm trying to bring him into the queue. And it seems like it keeps uh, bouncing out. Nick, can you hear me? Nick, you may have to hang up and try to call back in. We've been having a problem uh, for some reason with Blog Talk Radio getting into the show. So if you want to hang up and try to call back in, uh, we'll try this again. Okay. I'm trying to bring Nick Sanchez into the show here, and for some reason we're having trouble doing that. Uh, So, Nick, again, you may have to uh, hang up and try to call back into the show. Uh, Again, we've been having some issues. Uh, We're trying to get that resolved. Can you hear us, Nick? Because we're having trouble hearing you. Okay. I'm not sure what's going on, but we're having some trouble uh, bringing Nick into the queue here. We apologize for that. Uh, We're going to try and bring him back into the queue here again. Nick, this is Sharon from Fan for Racing. Can you see? 
Nick? Nick, this is Sharon from Fanfare Racing. Can you hear me? Hello, Nick? Nick, this is Sharon from Fanfare Racing. Can you hear me? Okay, we're having some difficulties here again. We apologize. Uh, we're looking to talk to Nick Sanchez here tonight from the NASCAR Wheel and All-American Series with Rev Racing. Uh, he's had a, a great season here uh, in 2019. Uh, we're going to try this again. <laughs> I know he's trying to get into the show, and we're trying to bring him in. I know there's been some problems at the switchboard. Nick, this is Sharon from Band for Racing. Can you hear me? Hello, Nick? Nick, this is Sharon from Band for Racing. Are you able to hear me? Okay. Again, we're having some technical difficulties here. Um, we're going to keep trying. <laughs> Nick, we're, we're trying to uh, bring you into the show. It shows that you're in the queue, but we're having difficulty hearing you. By any chance, do you have your mute button on? Nick. Nick, this is Sharon from Van for Racing. Can you hear me? Okay, I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, this is uh, a little bit of a problem for us, of course, tonight, Sal. Uh, really looking forward to talking with Nick Sanchez tonight with Rev Racing. He's part of the uh, Drive for Diversity program with the NASCAR Wheel and All-American Series. Uh, has uh, had a good season with two victories this year. And uh, we're hoping to be able to get a chance to talk with him tonight. Uh, but time is kind of ticking off here. Nick, can you hear us? Nick, you're in the queue. Are you able to... We're having difficulty hearing you. By any chance, do you have the mute button on? Okay. I'm not sure what's going on. It's uh, a little frustrating here because uh, we were looking forward to talking with Nick Sanchez here tonight. He had a great uh, race this weekend out at Langley Speedway, his last race of the season, coming home with the victory. Uh, hopefully, try again, Nick. I'm hoping we can bring you into the queue here. Can you hear us? Yeah, I know Sal and I both had trouble getting into the queue here tonight as well. Uh, we're going to try to bring Nick into the queue here again. Okay. <coughs> Nick, this is Sharon from Fan for Racing. Can you hear us? Okay, Nick. This I have is Sharon from Danford. Oh, Are you there, Nick? Yes, yes, I'm here. Nick. Oh, that's awesome. You hear me? 
We're yeah. really looking forward to this yeah. interview, and I know we had yeah, trouble getting in. into the queue, and we, I know we had trouble as well. Uh, we're so excited for you. You had a really good season with the Canon. I mean, with the Wheeland All American Series this year, racing at three different tracks. Wins at uh, two of those tracks, uh, including um, Myrtle Beach and Langley Speedway, the last race of the season this weekend. Uh, tell us about your season, Nick. Oh, yeah, it's been an awesome season. We've actually raced that, I think, about five tracks this year. So we've had a vast majority of differences in the tracks, and it definitely helps an overall driver, and it definitely has helped me improve as a driver, being uh, being exposed to different types of surfaces and tracks and different characteristics. Okay, so, so of the three tracks that you raced, uh, what was the highlight for you this season? The wins, obviously, but were there any other highlights for you this season, racing those three different tracks? Um, it was honestly just getting the race with uh, the um, just pretty much getting a race with a uh, prestigious late model drivers like uh, Lee Pulliam and stuff like that. You know, racing side by side with him, you know, you learn a lot, and definitely has helped me over my career. Okay, fantastic. Now let's talk about your win this weekend at Langley. Uh, you had a couple of races. You had top fives, I think, in both of those races. Uh, of course, one of those with a win. Um, talk about uh, that win and what you had to do to make it happen. Yeah, you know, um, we, they inverted us uh, from fourth, so we started fifth. So it was just about management, knowing you had 70 laps. They come through the field, and we managed it perfectly, in my opinion. We took the lead at about lap 35 and never looked back. Okay. <laughs> Nothing better than that when you're taking command of the race. So that's uh, pretty fantastic. Um, now, uh, if you talk a little bit about uh, driving with the uh, Drive for Diversity program with Rev Racing, because Rev Racing is uh, one of those uh, – uh, organizations that really help drivers like you get into the racing. Oh yeah, they've been an amazing help, and you know, without them, I wouldn't have been exposed to the stock car world because I'm originally from Miami and I'm just so used to uh, road course karting and the Formula car aspect. And you know, I never really knew what a late model, a legend car, or even a Canon car was growing up. And then knowing about this program and just hearing from people around and eventually applying led me to this and my newfound love of NASCAR, I guess. Okay. Uh, now, joining me is our co-host, Al Segal. I know he has some questions for you as well, Nick, so I'm going to pass uh, the microphone over to him for a few questions, okay? Sure. Hey, Nick. Welcome to the show. Congratulations on the win this past weekend. And, Thank uh, you very gosh, much. I wish we could have gotten <laughs> I wish we didn't have all these technical problems. I had trouble getting in too. So, yeah. um, but in, anyways, you know, to the question, um, um, how did you get started in racing? Um, it was kind of very spontaneous, I guess you could say. I just pretty much had this awesome idea to start karting at the age of twelve at my home track of Homestead Miami Speedway, and ever since then, I've just had a had a love for racing. Was was there was there um, ever any racing in the, you know with the family like maybe an uncle or your dad or 
you know, something, you know, other than, you know, than you racing? Oh, no, no influence from my family at all. You know, my dad works in construction. My mom's a account executive, so they have nothing to do with racing, I guess you could say. Were they, were they ever race fans? Um, not really. My dad is always into classic cars and being raised around classic cars, whether it be Corvettes or Cobras, and just loving anything with an engine. Um, I guess that had an influence, but never really the racing aspect. Wow, that's that's kind of amazing because you know a lot of you know the drivers we talk to, you know they, you know they they most one, I mean I'm not gonna say all of them, but you know most of them, you know they've. You know they've you know they've either watch racing or something like that on TV you know and you know just kind of you know picked it up you know of course you know you know you know the kids are the ones you know doing all the racing so how do you enjoy how do how do you enjoy compared to maybe any other sports you might have played as you were growing up? Um, it's definitely nice getting to some getting the chance to be something that is definitely different for my family and not not kind of carrying on the tradition or anything kind of breaking off into my own path pursuing a new career and it's definitely treated me well and i i have a newfound love of racing what was what was what was like like you know the what you know what other sport were you guys into you know that you know which you were just you know mentioning now you know about you know take taking a different path um i actually played tackle football for about five years so at the end of that is kind of when i just stopped and said what am i doing you know, I've always wanted to be a race car driver, and why not pursue that? I'll tell you one thing: it sure is a lot different. Uh, not 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 only from a you know from a sporting um, uh, view, but also from uh, you know you know from the money you know that's involved you know in racing you know as compared to the uh, as compared to the um, you know the football. So how? How did how, how did you get into the uh, into the into the uh, drive for diversity program? You know, I I probably about uh, been karting for about three and a half four years, and it was kind of at that point, uh, kind of moving up to uh, race cars in general out of go karts. So just taking that next step, and I had looked into Formula cars, and I've I've always had an interest in NASCAR, and I kind of like looking at different programs, different series, and I stumbled upon the Drive for Diversity series, or team, uh, Rev Racing, and applied for their Legend Car program, and spent the summer of 2017 racing uh, Legend Cars for them in the Bojangle Summer Shootout, and continuing with them on to where we are now. Wow, that, that's pretty awesome, I mean, you know, to, to get that kind of start, you know, with the with the background that you have. Um, I just want to say uh, good luck the rest of the season. And with that, I'm going to turn it back over to Sharon. Thank you very much. Okay, Nick. Uh, one of the questions we have is, uh, I know you've raced uh, with Rev Racing in the Canon Series this season as well. Uh, and I was wondering if you're going to be racing at the season finale this week. Um, unfortunately, no, I will not. You know, I think my racing season is over. Definitely ended on a high note, so I'm fine with that. And, you know, I'm still grateful for all the opportunities Rev has given me over the course of the 2019 season, you know, getting experience in a K&N car and a lot of late model races. Okay. And, Nick, you're what? Are you 17 or 18 now? Uh, 18, actually. You're 18 now. So you're still going to school. So... Um, did, I actually did you graduated high school. Celebrated. 
Pardon me? Yeah, I actually graduated high school this past summer, so now just looking on to college, I guess. Okay. Uh, So when do you start your college, then, or have you decided where you're going? Um. Not really, you know, I'm probably going to pursue, like, a virtual college, you know, just something to get my feet wet in and, you know, always have a backup plan because it never hurts. Okay. Now, Nick, I want to make sure we uh, give some kudos to your team uh, for your season. So let's uh, do some shout-outs for some of your team members here. Um. Uh, first, though, I'd like to thank Max Siegel for allowing me to drive his race cars and believing in me. Um, Christy Gormau, our marketing person who sets up everything and kind of teaches me these things about media every day, and Matt Booker, competition director, who does a lot for me, of course, and my crew chief, Johnny Allen, who's, you know, been there from day one this year and worked very hard on the race cars. Okay, that's fantastic. Uh, and how can fans follow you, Nick, um, and, and uh I'm sure that you uh, gained some fans this weekend with your victory at Langley. How, how can fans uh, um, follow along with what you're doing next? All my social medias are Nick Sanchez 080 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Okay. And and do you know what is next for you? What are you doing for next season? Um, You can only hope uh, Canon or Arca, but, you know, whatever whatever is in store, pretty much, I'm willing to drive anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope uh, we hope this isn't uh, the last time we get a chance to chat with you, Nick. We always look forward to uh, talking with the drivers there at Rev Racing. You guys have uh, had a, really, I think, a fantastic season this year, and uh, uh, we hope you stay in touch with us, okay? Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. And uh, good luck to you. And uh, let us know when you find out what you're doing next season, okay? Will do. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Nick Sanchez, the winner at Langley Speedway this weekend in the NASCAR Wheel and All-American Series and uh, racing with Rev Racing and part of their Driver Diversity Program. Uh, take care, Nick, and we'll look forward to chatting with you again down the road sometime. All right. Uh, coming up next, we have a K&N Pro Series West driver coming on board. Uh, the winner at Meridian Speedway and the series points leader, Derek Krause, will be joining us uh, in just a moment. Uh, and uh, that uh, series has been having uh, quite a role here. They've got three more races to run uh, after after the race here at Meridian. Uh, and uh, to determine their series champion. But right now, that uh, leader is Derek Krause. Sal? Yeah, it's been an interesting season, to say the least. Um, uh, I really don't know what, what more to say other than, you know, it's been an interesting season, you know what, and um, it's getting winding down, you know, to the, you know, two more short track. Actually, um, one one more short track and two two of the bigger tracks. You got Curtin that's a half mile, but then you got the small half mile at the All America Speedway, which is going to be a really good race, kind of like kind of like a Bristol for the uh, Cup guys. And then of the, course, they're closing it out at that uh, Phoenix of so the one mile at Phoenix this year. Yes, indeed. Now joining us uh, now 
is our guest, Derek Krauss with Bill McAnally Racing. Uh, welcome to the show, Derek. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, Derek, we're so happy <laughs> that you were able to get into the show. We've had a little bit of de- te- technical difficulties with everybody tonight uh, getting into the show. So it, it, it seems like you did it on the first try. Is that the case? Uh, my my phone didn't work, but I used my mom's and it worked, so that's good. Okay, awesome. Um, and uh, congratulations on another victory at the Meridian Speedway. That's four victories for you on the season, uh, and you're at the series points lead with three races left in the season. Yeah, thank you. It's been a it's been a really good year so far, and I'm really looking forward to the rest of the races. Okay, now Derek, uh, you've been with Bill McAnally Racing. I think is it three seasons now that you're racing with them. Yes, correct. Okay, uh, talk a little bit about uh, any changes that you've noticed in the racing in the three years that you've been racing with Bill McAnally Racing. Uh, I really haven't noticed any changes in the racing at all. I feel like it's been been the same racing all three years, just different drivers and different seats. Like the first year we had uh, Julia Landauer and uh, Ryan Partridge and then Michael Self in the race car for Sunrise and then Todd and Chris, of course, in BMR cars. And then last year was last year with the people in Sunrise cars and our cars. And this year it was Jagger and, uh, Jagger and uh, Huddleston. So, and then Haley and Brittany for um, our side. But racing has been the same through all three years, I feel, just the different tires. I mean, those are a little bit different, but other than that, it's all been the same. Okay. And and with your four victories, uh, which of the four victories stands out the most for you, Derek? Uh, I really wouldn't say one particular victory stands out the most. I feel like we've had a lot of good cars this year, and we adapted to this year's tire really well, which is good, and we learned a lot for sure, and just we gotta just stay clean throughout the rest of the year. And I feel like we can get more wins and more good finishes. Okay, now now uh, coming up to the close of the race, uh, I know that there was uh, a little bit of a uh, issue on the track, if you will. Uh, talk about your thoughts uh, about that and uh, how you were able to keep your focus through all of that. Oh uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure, you're talking about the incident between Jagger and I, but I feel like uh, we raced side by side for plenty of laps. We restarted. Um, I restarted on the outside of them for so many laps and uh, so many laps and so many restarts that we raced really clean. And at the end of the night, it was a restart with six to go, or not six to go. It was a green white checkered and. Really, I screwed up by going on the outside. I shouldn't have really went on the outside, but I did. I trusted him to be clean with me and just race to the end, be a drag race to the finish. But when I turned one and he shoved me up the racetrack, and I, I really didn't like that. I drove in turn three and got into him a little bit, but my intentions definitely weren't to spin him out. My intentions were just moving up the racetrack a little bit. We we're, we're going to drag race to the finish, but uh, fortunately, it didn't work out like that. I'm sure he's mad, and I've, I mean, I've been on the team side of that at Colorado, so it's definitely part of racing. You're going to have them races, and that's another thing. I I really never grew up like that with our family cars. We 
would race Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and sometimes Sunday. So if we would wreck or get caught up in a wreck on a Thursday night, we wouldn't be able to race the rest of the weekend. So I came from seventh to, to the lead without a mark on my car, and I feel that uh, what happened Saturday night was just a racing deal. I mean, someone's going to do something to you, you can't uh, back away from you. you got to do something back to them if, if it's necessary. Okay. Um, and and uh, I know fans will be able to watch the race on um, – this Friday, October the 4th at 6 p.m. on NBC Sports Network, uh, the Napa Auto Parts Idaho 208. Um, and joining me now is our co-host, Sal. Uh, and Sal, did you have any questions for, for Derek? Yeah, I got a, I have a couple of questions, um, sure. Okay. Okay. Hey Derek, uh, thank, yeah, hey, thanks, thanks for coming on the show. I know it was, I know it was kind of a short notice thing. I talked to Sharon this morning. We were trying to figure out, you know, who our lineup was going to be. Um, you know, it seems like the racing is getting a little bit more. Um, it seems like it's getting a little bit more aggressive. I noticed this season, you know, as compared to last season, and I, I'm, I'm even going to go back to ten, fifteen seasons ago. You know, but it seems like this season, you know, it's just really been one of the more aggressive seasons, you know, as far as, you know, um, you know, the racing on the track. Yeah, I mean, you're going to, I mean, that's, uh, that's part of growing up in racing. I mean, it's 17, 18-year-olds, and then this, this week we had a 15-year-old. I mean, that's part of racing. We're all trying to make it to the highest level in NASCAR, and if we race, like, I don't want to say, like, it's, like, if someone does something else, you got to stand up for ourselves, you know? It's just like in real life. Someone comes up and does something to you, you got to do something back to them if, it, if it's a necessary time and place. And I feel like racing's been the same all three years that I've been in the K&N series. So, uh, I guess we'll just just move on to the next race. You know, that's really all you can do, you know what? And that's really all any driver, you know, not just, you know, Singling out, you know, one or two drivers, but you know, every driver, you know, that's, you know, that's, you know, that that is, you know, uh, you know, that has been with the, you know, with the season, you know, that has raced all season. Which I think you guys have eight, eight, uh, eight drivers that haven't missed a race yet. You know, which which is a, you know, for you know this the with this with as hard as this gets sponsorship and you know to, to keep racing especially you know in the nascar series you know i think yeah, i think that's you know a, a pretty you know a pretty decent number you know for the you know like i said you know for the way the economy has gone for, for getting to you know keeping sponsors the sponsors um you know putting their money you know into the into the series you know racing and race out yeah for sure like you said there's a lot of a lot of cars that come to every every single race and there's a lot of cars there at um, meridian just that place in particular, there's always been a lot of cars that go there. There in Sonoma are usually our biggest car counts for the West Coast. And one of the coolest things about going to Meridian is that it's always, the place is always packed. Like, it, uh, every year that I've been there, the place has been packed. And that's not, it's nothing cooler to be as a race car driver to drive around on the pace laps and look up in the stands and the place is packed and everyone's cheering and hooping and hollering. So that's, that's one of the coolest, coolest things about Racing the K&N Series is having the stands packed for almost every short track race or all the short track races. And another big place that the fans always show up at is uh, Roseville, and that's, I'm really excited to go there. 
Yeah, that's true. You know, they they'll always you know manage to pack them in, and I think a lot of it too is the you know is the program that they put on. You know, along with the Canada, you know, he always runs his, you know, they run their local programs, and actually this year at Irondale, you know, with the addition of the of the Night of Destruction, which has always been our biggest our biggest draw for the fans, you know that you know that we were able to get you know the sellout crowd, you know for the you know for the you know for your guys's race, you know, which was uh. You know, which was a I know it was a breath of fresh air for NASCAR plus for the track and the series itself. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like you said, Irwindale, that place was also packed. I got Haley Spotter, Eric Holmes took a picture of the took a picture of the entry gate before the race, and there was a line, one of the longest lines I've ever seen at a racetrack. So that was really cool to see as a driver. And it's always fun to have all the kids and all the families come out and support. So, so, so looking at the at the last three races, you know, you have a pretty, you know, a pretty, you know, decent sized lead, you know, over, you know, your forty points over Trevor, and you know, forty five over um, Haley, and you know, forty eight over um, over uh, Jagger. Um, so, how how do you attack these last three races? You know, with the, you know, I mean, you know, of course, you know, we got we got Kern, you know, which is which is the half mile track, and then you know, then we got a. Uh, um, Roseville, which is a smaller track, and then of course you guys are finishing on the mile track at Phoenix, which I'm sure that that's going to be a huge car count because I can see a lot of drivers from back east that are, that are going to want to come out here, you know, race Phoenix, especially with it being, you know, you know, at the national spotlight, you know, with the you know with the Cup cars in the Xfinity series. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, the Phoenix race is going to be definitely a really big pull for the. Really big race for everyone at in the K&N series. I'm really excited to go to that track. We uh, we ran there in the truck last year and we had a really good run. And that track's probably one of my favorite tracks that we've been to. So it's really looking forward to that one and all the other tracks. Current, of course, I'm really looking forward to in Roseville and uh, they they'll both put on really good races. And as long as we stay clean, they stay clean and we've got to be there at the end of the races with our fender, all four fenders on the race car. And, Feel like we'll be in pretty good shape. Yeah, it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good it's gonna be a good uh, end to the season. You know, you got you know, we've seen uh you know throughout the year you know we've seen you know you know a lot of drivers you know you know a lot of a lot of tough uh a lot of tough um competition you know a lot of a lot of good uh drivers you know a lot of good um uh, battles out there on the track. Yeah, for sure. There's been a lot of good battles throughout the whole year, and that's just that's part of racing. I mean, you're gonna have that throughout the whole year and it's always exciting to see always exciting to be part of the races that go on in the racetrack it's always very very uh, very fun race against there's always and there's always who uh, are beating bang which is always, always fun too yeah that's for sure and with that Derek I'm going to turn it back over to Sharon Okay, Derek. Um, uh, I know you've raced some of the Canon East races this season. Are you going to be at over this weekend? Uh, no, actually, I'll be back home racing. We got a big event in lacrosse Wisconsin called Oktoberfest, and I'll be racing there Friday uh, and Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, that's a big race. Talk a little bit about that race because uh, in the Midwest here, that's a that's a big event. Yeah, for sure. So it all starts on Wednesday. We go down there to test on Wednesday, and then Thursday night, so for the Super Bowl, it's Thursday night, you come on the Futures race, and then Friday, there's a Triple 99, three, uh, 33 lap segments, and then 
Saturday and Sunday is the big show of our tour race. It's a qualifying heat race on Saturday and then the big tour lap around Sunday. So that, that's always a it's always a really big race to go to in Wisconsin and always draws a big crowd and a big, really talented field. Absolutely, absolutely. And I know, uh, I think Speed 51 is uh, uh, doing some of the coverage of that race this weekend as well. Yeah, I believe they're there and that's always always a good one to watch. Okay. And um, uh, as far as, uh, I, I think we've talked to you about this before. Are, are you considering the Snowball Derby this year as well? Yeah, we that's always one race that we make the trip down to. And it's always that's always a big one too. That's the most pristine short track race in America for the super late models. So I'm really really excited for that one and hopefully we can perform well down there. Yeah, that'd be really cool, Derek. Uh and then I wanted to uh ask you about the truck series as well. You've raced some of the truck series events this year. Any more on, on deck for you? Uh, just Phoenix as of right now. We uh, we're gonna run the double header at Phoenix and then Phoenix and then the K N race on Saturday night as well. Okay, so that'll be uh, that'll be a double header for you and a big night for you because uh, Phoenix is the season finale, uh, and uh, uh, it'll be a big night uh, for you as the perhaps the champion in the K N Pro Series West. Yeah, for sure. That'll be a big night, but for surely the first three main things you got to focus on in the next three races, you got to go and perform and try to pick up a win or two. Absolutely. Uh, looking ahead, I know Sal asked you about the tracks that are coming up. Uh, are there any tracks that you feel uh, might not be in your favor? Or are all the tracks pretty much, you've been to all of these tracks before, right? Yeah, correct. I've been to all of them. I feel like I feel like uh, the final three are really I feel like they're really they're three completely different racetracks with size wise. I mean, Roseville's a really small quarter mile bowl ring, and then Kern's a big sweeping uh, half mile or a little bit bigger than half mile. But then Phoenix is a really fun mile racetrack, and I feel like all three tracks that are left are really good for me, and hopefully, go out and have really good runs. Okay. Uh, now you realize that a lot of people are trying to make up points. Those top points are really tight uh, between second and fourth place, and a lot of those drivers are jockeying for their best position of the season. Uh, do you feel like maybe there's a little bit of a target on your back going into those next three races? Uh, no, I feel like uh, everyone will race the same thing we have all year. I mean, uh, we've had really good races this year, and I feel like the last three are going to be really good races again. I mean, that's that's all you can ask for going into the weekend. Okay. Uh, I tell you what, it's going to be exciting uh, to watch these next three races, Derek. I think you've all but wrapped up uh, the championship, but you're right. You've got to kind of still keep your focus in these next three races and, uh, uh, you know, to, to kind of maintain your your lap or gap that you have there in the series point standings, and uh, I have no doubt that uh, you'll do everything you can. Uh, what are the chances? Where's your win going to come from? Do you think? What was that? I said, where's your next win going to come in these next three races? 
I don't know. That's that's a, that's a tough question. I mean, uh, there's a lot of good cars that'll be at Roseville and a lot of good cars that'll be current at Phoenix, current and Phoenix. So we're just going out and trying to have good finishes, and if we can win, we'll take advantage of it. We'll try to win. Okay, and and being with Bill McAnally Racing for the last three years, uh, let's talk about your team, especially this year. Uh, let's talk about the folks there, and uh, because they've been kind of behind you this whole season and helping you with those uh, four victories. Let's do some shout-outs. Oh, yeah, I, like, I feel like the team's been really good this year. We got. The new, new uh, Kevin Bellacourt, he's been helping a lot. And then my crew, John and Kyle and Kevin have been the three crew chiefs on the car. So, cars. so I feel like this year he's had a really strong year as a whole at BMR. Brittany's been really good these last two races. And I'm, I really feel like we'll have a really good cars at Roseville, Kern, and then Phoenix just because of our experience at the last two tracks. And then Phoenix will be just kind of new for new for everyone, really. And, uh It'll be fun to go to them races, and as a team, I feel like we worked really good together this whole year so far, and hopefully we can finish that out. Okay. And uh, uh, what about your sponsors? I know Napa has been a huge sponsor for you uh, and for Bill McAnally Racing. Uh, they mean a lot as well with uh, uh, their support. It's been fantastic. Yeah, for sure. Napa, Napa, Toyota, and uh, everyone that's on the Bill McAnally team, Enios has been a really big part of everything. So just can't thank them guys enough, and it wasn't for them. Them guys, it just wouldn't be possible. And all the all the guys that work at the shop at BMR, they work their tails off every single day that they're at the shop, and it definitely shows when we go to the racetrack. Okay, just a couple more minutes here. Uh, uh, Derek, uh, in the three years that you've been with Bill McAnally Racing, what's been your biggest learning uh, with Bill McAnally. The biggest what? Learning. Oh, What's just, been the biggest thing you've learned? Uh, just to manage a race, I feel like uh, the can answer is you typically only get one set of tires throughout the whole race. So just managing the race and being there at the end of the race is for sure. you got to keep the keep the car in one piece to be at the end of the race. And like they say, you get must finish to finish first. So you got to... Just that was my biggest biggest learning thing was Bill McAnally Racing and just teamwork as well. They they work really well as a team and I feel like that leads to the leads to the success. Absolutely, and I think that's good advice for any young driver that's coming into the Canon Pro Series is uh, exactly what you just said. Uh, taking care of your equipment and being there at the end to win, you got to be there in right. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Okay. So, Derek, it's been uh, a really a lot of fun chatting with you throughout this whole season uh, with your four victories and over the years that you've been with uh, Bill McAnally Racing. Uh, we hope, again, that this isn't the last time we get a chance to chat with you. We know there's three more races coming up here. And uh, if nothing else, we want to chat with you at the end of the season uh, about your championship run. So, um, definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on tonight too. No, we always look forward to it, uh, Derek. Uh, you, we, we, we enjoy chatting with you, and uh, we wish you the best in these races. 
And uh, you mentioned the truck series race that you'll be racing at uh, at uh, Phoenix as well. So uh, definitely looking forward to watching you as we always do on track. Yeah, thank you. Okay, and with that, I will let you go and uh, wish you the best. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on again. Okay, always a pleasure. All right, that is uh, Derek Krauss with Bill McAnally Racing after winning at Meridian Speedway this uh, past week and on Saturday, currently leading the series point standing and uh, really doing well here uh, in uh, in the Canon Pro Series West. Uh, and Sal, it's good to know that he's going to be racing uh, in the trucks again uh, at Phoenix as well. Yeah, it is, Sharon. It's um, it's going to be a good, 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 uh, uh, a good finish to this, you know, to the season. The last three races, you know, like you said, you know, three different tracks. You know, you got the, you got the um, half mile, you got the quarter mile, then you got the the miles. So, you know, setups and you know, a lot of work, a lot of work from the teams, you know, to you know to get you know try and get the right setups, you know, for these for these last three uh for these last three races. And and let's not forget, you've got that big uh, October race up in Wisconsin this weekend. That's a huge event. Again, you can uh, uh, follow that race through Speed 51. And then the Snowball Derby in December, uh, that's going to be exciting for Derek Krause uh, to be a part of that. And, um, uh, again, his uh, Canon Pro Series race, uh, that he raced at Meridian is going to be on NBC Sports Network this Friday, October the 4th at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Yeah, I'm going to have to tune in and watch it. I, I've seen some of it on Fans Choice. I've seen the, the highlights. But um, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to tune in and see it, you know, and see what else transpired. I was, at, I was at Madeira, so I really couldn't watch the whole thing. I was off and on, off and on, off and on, and... Uh, you know, to get a chance to to see everything, and they don't they don't really do replays real well on there. So I'm not yeah. sure I'll just catch it. You know, well, when they when they come on TV. And I appreciate Derek's uh, willingness to kind of talk about uh, that finish uh, because I know it was kind of a uh, a little bit of a wild finish, if you will. And uh, I think. Uh, you know, that's always uh, not easy to talk about sometimes, but I think he did a good job with that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of cars were destroyed, you know, because of it. You know, the big pileup, but, um, you know, um, you know, it is what it is, and, you know, I'm just, you know. Okay, now the, let's let's talk about how, how things finished out uh, in that race. Uh, Derek Krause came in first. As we know, Todd Souza finished second. Trevor Huddleston came in third. Josh Jackson, one of the locals there, uh, came in in fourth place. And same with Brad Castle, uh, with Jefferson uh, Racing, uh, came in in fifth place. So good to see some of some of the local drivers uh, getting those top fives there as well. Oh yeah, you know they had a they had a really good turnout. You know, um, I think they had uh, um, eighteen cars this this week. You know, and um, like I said, uh, Phoenix, you can probably I'm just gonna take a rough stab and maybe twenty five, twenty seven cars you should have in Phoenix. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And this was a big race out in Idaho uh, for the Canon Pro Series to be up there. And, uh, I thought it was good for, for um, Derek to tell us uh, just how the attendance was there, that people were standing in line to get into the event. So that's pretty exciting as well. Oh, yeah, it always is. You know, when you have, you know, people, uh, you know, this kind of like what we had at Irondale, and, you know, when they came out here at Irondale with the Night of Destruction. And, uh, you know, we always get mm-hmm. the sellouts for Night of Destruction. You know, they, and then, of course, you know, doing the Canon West race, you know, which was, you know, which was huge. Well, and I, I think we're going to probably see the same thing, Sal. I don't know, but uh, at Roseville and Phoenix and and uh, the rest of the season, you know, the three races that are left in the season. And Kern. Yeah, Kern, Kern they're running the, what, what we call the California Classics. So they're running the Canon West race. Plus, they're running the SRL Southwest Tour race on the same on the same uh, same night. So their fans will get to see the SRL, you know, the SRL Southwest Tour race, and of course the Canyon West race. Yeah, so uh, that's going to be a huge night uh, out there. And uh, uh, again, the season finale at, at uh, Phoenix. ISM Raceway at Phoenix with, uh, you know, that being kind of a cutoff phase, uh, for NASCAR as well, going into the final four at Homestead. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a few years since we've gone there, so it's good. I'm glad we're finally going back. Um, I thought it was a real important track, you know, that they needed to get to, especially in the last two seasons, you know, the biggest track that they that they raced on, you know, was the was, uh, um, Iowa, Iowa Speedway. Mhm. So I know a lot of the drivers are happy about that as well, and uh, you're right. I think we'll see a big uh, entry list of the Canon Pro Series out there at Phoenix uh, that weekend as well. So, <laughs> with that, Sal, I think uh, let's go ahead and move into the Xfinity Series and uh, a little bit of a review there. A.J. Allmendinger won that race out at the Roval at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Tyler Reddick came in second. Uh, it was Austin Sindrick finishing third, Justin Algauer in fourth, and Noah Gregson, the highest finishing rookie, finishing in fifth place uh, in that race. Now, um, just to give some of the details, uh, A.J. Allmendinger in the number 10 for college racing in Coochie Lenny Chandler, uh, won uh, in his third victory in 16 Xfinity Series races. Um, it was his first six, second top 10 finish this season, his first victory and first top 10 finish at Tyler Motor Speedway on the road course. Uh, again, Tyler Reddick posted his second top 10 finish in two races at the road course at Charlotte and in his 24th top 10 finish this season. That's the series most. Austin Sendrick third posted his second top ten finish in two races at the road course, and Noah Gregson again was the highest finishing rookie. Uh, you want to cover some of the point standings, there, Sal? Yeah, the way the points are stacking up. Um, let me see. I just was looking at. It. I was going over it right now, and here we go. 
Uh, the way the points are stacking up right now, it's we got Christopher Bell, who's still leading. Actually, the top three, Christopher Bell, Cole Custer, and Tyler Reddick are still at the top three. Um, are still the top three in points. And then uh, you go down a fourth, fifth, and sixth, which is Austin Cedric, Justin Algaier, and Chase Briscoe. And then uh, then we got Noah Gregson, who's in seventh, Michael and Nan in eighth, John Hunter even second in ninth. And uh, let me see, rounding out the the top 12 would be uh, Brandon Jones, Ryan Sieg, and Justin Haiti, who's in the, in the 12th spot. Okay. So we are getting a little bit of feedback. I don't know if you've got the TV or the radio or something on in the background, but we are getting a little bit of interference there. Oh. So I don't know if you just need to turn it down a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Now, this next race for the Canon Post Series, I'm sorry, for the Xfinity Series, will be an elimination race uh, at uh, Dover for the Xfinity Series. For, so the bottom four drivers are certainly at risk. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they are at risk. They're at a big risk. Um they need to they need to uh, turn up those wicks a little bit and uh, and uh, you know you know and and I mean there's some there's a big point uh, there's a big points gap. Yeah, uh, do you want to kind of cover that on the on the, the bottom part, four? Yeah, the bottom, the bottom four, four right driver. now. We're looking, yeah, the bottom four look at like John Hunter Nemechek, Brandon Jones, Ryan Segan, Justin Haley are the bottom four. Um, they're anywhere from 81 to 109 points out for Christopher Bell, which, I mean, realistically speaking, unless they, unless they, uh, uh, unless they win a race, I don't think they're going to be able to make up that that many points, you know, to get in there. So it's you know it's getting down to a do or die crunch time. The nitty gritty, uh, and, yeah. and of those four going into Dover where they're having their elimination race, um, it's it's going to be tough on those guys uh, going into the event. Uh, so there's a lot of pressure on them to go out there and win the event in order to get in. Yeah, there is because right now you're looking at um in the in the where the cutoff would be at, what's our cutoff going to be at eight? Yeah. Um, yeah, at eight. Uh, you're looking at the bottom four. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek is only 11 points out from Michael and Nett, but he's going to need a really good finish and hope that that uh, that Michael and Nett has a really bad race, you know, in order to keep on advancing. Ryan Seager and Justin Haley are basically in a, in a, they are in a, you know, in a muscle situation. Big hole. Yeah. Yeah, Brandon Jones and John Hunter Nemechek are basically tied uh, in the points gap there. Uh, and, you know, I, I can see those two drivers really going after it hard at uh, Dover this weekend in order to get a win, in order to get in. They'll be looking at the points and, and watching each other, I'm sure. Um, 
But we've seen surprises this season. Uh, I think this is one of those races that fans are going to want to tune into uh, to see what actually does happen at Dover. Now, we do have some post-race audio here from the race winner. Uh, It was uh, A.J. Allmendinger. He's not really uh, in the playoffs, so this was a non-playoff winner winning the race. Uh, it's it's a 15-minute segment, so we can't listen to the whole thing. But let's listen to a few things that uh, A.J. Allmendinger had to say after winning on Saturday in the Xfinity Series. We are here with the winner of today's 38th annual drive for the Care 250, presented by Portar to try to make a regional or like the double bear Charlotte Roval. 
and he talks a little bit there, Sal, about uh, some of the issues he's run into throughout the season on the road courses. Uh, those are his specialty. Uh, and you heard him say in there, uh, asking the crew chief, uh, did we pass? Uh, and they did pass the inspection this time, so uh, uh, it was all good. But nice to see him finally win. Yeah, it was uh, – <laughs> it's been a while, you know, like he said, you know, and then to finally, you know, get that win. You know, I'm sure he was, um, you know, he was ecstatic, you know, after the race, you know, to, to get the win, you know. And, um, you know, it's been – it's been, I guess you could say, a long time coming. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, stage one was won by Chase Briscoe. Chase Briscoe had a great race, I thought. Uh, he ran uh, pretty pretty good. He ran into some issues there at the end, uh, but uh, it was not his finish was not reflective of how well he ran throughout the race. And Cole Custer uh, coming home with a uh, stage two finish uh, victory, uh, and he finished uh, in eighth place there. Yeah, you know, and it's funny, you know, you mentioned Cole because um, I guess everybody was wondering why Cole was banging his car into the wall. You know, during the race, uh, and you know, Cindy kind of went on on Facebook, you know, kind of explaining, you know, they needed to fix it. You know, and uh, um, I know there's some other people, you know, that were kind of, you know, questioning what he was doing, but I need to, you know, come back, you know, and still finish eighth, you know, after the, you know, the, the, you know, the the problems that he had, you know, and it was a good, it was a good solid, it was a good solid win for the team. You know, in general, not, not a win, it but really a good solid was. finish. But a good solid finish for the uh, team yeah, in general. Yeah, in eighth place. All right. Now uh, there were seven caution flags for 14 laps uh, throughout the event. Seven lead changes among six drivers, including Chase Briscoe, Austin Cindric, Cole Custer, Tyler Reddick, uh, and Christopher Bell, along with, uh, of course, uh, AJ Allmendinger, who won the race. Uh, all those guys uh, are turning out to be really good uh, road course racers. Yeah, there. I remember. I remember way back. You know, when road courses were just, you know, they were taboo. You know, it's like you know nobody cared about them. You know, they didn't really work at them. You know, because they only had the one or two a season. They figured, you know what? Um, without the chase, you know, you're running for points. So you know. You know, if you had one or two bad races, you know, you can always make it up, you know, on some of your favorite, more favorite tracks. But now with the chase, you know, it's made it different. But then putting the Roval in the chase, you know, it's it's really made it into where, you know, they, I think they put a little, a little bit more emphasis on these road courses. Yeah, there's definitely a road course in the race. And I'll tell you what, I was on the edge of my seat. There were times I couldn't even sit down to watch the race. Uh, I was so anxious about what was going to happen next, and that was on on uh, Saturday as well as Sunday. Um, so I thought both of those races were pretty fantastic. Um, so let me ask you this now, because we'll probably talk about it on hot topics. Uh, quick answer: uh, Should there be more road courses, more rovals inside the oval? No, I think this is it. I think this is good. Just okay. the one. Um, it tears just up a lot of one. tears up a lot of tears up a lot of equipment. And um, NASCAR wasn't really built on road course; it was built on ovals. 
And you know yep. what? You're asking you're asking a lot from the teams to change back and forth. You know, from uh, from the regular road courses they know, which is Watkins Glen and Sonoma. You know, and then also you're throwing you know uh, a temporary one, which they really can't practice in the off season because you know it's it turns back to an oval. Right. I think it was it's good for the Charlotte Motor Speedway. I think it produced some amazing racing uh, uh, yesterday and, and on Saturday. But, but yeah, I think one uh, short answer. So let's uh, go on to the uh, Monster Energy Series at the Roval. Chase Elliott uh, put on a clinic, uh, overcame adversity, was able to win that race uh, on Sunday. Alex Bowman also just a, an incredible run uh, by Alex Bowman to finish second. Kevin Harvick in third. Clint Boyer fourth. Brad Keselowski finished fifth. William Byron, the pole sitter, in sixth. Martin Truex seventh. Ryan Blaney eighth. Jimmy Johnson ninth. And Joey Logano finished tenth. You know, I had a really tough time picking my race winner this week, uh, Sal, because I – I uh, really thought there were so many people that could have won that races, and a lot of those people that I was contemplating are in that top ten. Um, uh, your thoughts about how that race finished? Yeah, it, it would have been hard to pick because um, you really couldn't go off what happened last year because last year was the first year. Some of the drivers have yeah. different, you know, you know, a couple of them, you know, of course, are different teams, but. Um, this is just one of those races where, you know what, it was, nobody knew it was going to happen. You know, no, I mean, it just happened that the strongest car ended up being a victory lane. And that's not always the case when it comes to these road courses. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, a more better driver, you know, more, you know, uh, road course, um, kind of the road course experts, you know, are the ones that, you know, usually end up on top of these things, and um, you know, Chase has just shown, you know, that he's 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 a very well-rounded driver, and um, you know, he's he's a driver to be to be reckoned with. Uh, yes, indeed, uh, and of course, uh, that gave him entry into uh, the next round of the playoffs. Uh, but I think he would have done it on points as well. Uh, Chase Elliott, just 23 years of age, driving the number nine for Hendrick Motorsports with crew chief Alan Gustafson. Um, it was his sixth victory in 142 Monster Energy Cup Series races, his third victory and 13th top 10 finish this season. Uh, also, his first victory and second top 10 finish in two races at the Charlotte Motor Speedway Road Course. Alex Bowman in second, posting his second top 10 finish in two races at the track and his ninth top 10 finish in 2019. Kevin Harvick in third, posting his second top 10 finish in two races at the road course. And Ryan Priest was the highest finishing rookie, uh, finishing 21st in that event. That's, that's a tough track for rookies, I'd say. <laughs> Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, the, it is, you know, when you look at it, you know, um, you know, uh, and even for Logano to pick up a top 10, because he even had his issues, you know, you know, going, getting around yep. that track, you know. Um, yep. 
it seemed like every, every every it seemed like every drive there wasn't I don't think there was one driver that didn't have you know you know even if it was just a minor incident you know it seemed like everybody had there their was, a lot of something. yeah everybody had there was a little bit of something from everybody okay uh, let's go ahead and go over the points report Sal. Okay, as far as points, we're looking at, um, ta-da. Ta-da-da-da. ta-da, come on. <laughs> I can't. Okay, well, so pulling that up. Oh, here it goes. Okay, I had, I had to go all the way down to the bottom of the page. I didn't realize they had put them that far down. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, we still got Kyle Busch leading the points, Martin Schroes in second, uh, Danny Hamlin sitting in third. Uh, and then fourth is Joey Logano, Kevin Harvick in fifth, and Chase Elliott is holding up the sixth spot. And then from there we go down to uh, we go down to Brad Keselowski, Kyle Larson, Alex Bowman, and Ryan Blaney in the tenth spot. And then from there we go down to William Byron in eleventh, Clint Boyer twelfth, Eric Alvarola thirteenth, Ryan Newman fourteenth, Kurt. Bush 15th and Eric Jones in the 16th spot. Um, I'll tell you what, I those there are three drivers, Alex Bowman, Eric Almarola, and Ryan Newman. They raced their hearts out throughout that entire event. Nobody can say that those drivers did not do everything they possibly could uh, to catch that 12th spot in the playoffs. Which is so, which is true. I mean, everybody was trying to catch it on that, you know, that last spot. And, um, you know, you know, like we talked earlier, you know, we've seen a couple of mistakes, you know, by some drivers, you know, um, Brad Newman was one of them. Uh, Al Merlo was another one. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a, it was a tough, it was a tough battle, you know, to, you know, to catch that, you know, to catch those, uh, you know, catch those playoff spots. Yes, indeed. In the end, it was Alex Bowman racing his way into second place uh, that was able to uh, take this 12th spot at the cutoff line. Uh, The four drivers that ended up out were Eric Almarola, Ryan Newman, Kurt Busch, and Eric Jones. I I just felt so bad for Eric Jones because I I felt like he had a better car um, than what his finish. uh, he, He just had a horrible first round of the playoffs. Yeah, then he then we you know getting that that um, penalty you know didn't help him either. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know, I know. And then Ryan Newman racing racing uh, for all it was worth uh, to to you know be with four wheels in the chicane uh, and that penalty in the last few laps of the race uh, pretty much put him out as well. But yeah, he, it he did. Was, and, um, he was giving it everything he possibly could. Yeah, he was. He was really trying, but you know what? It's just you know he had that that one bad turn. You know what? And um, they they back flagged him. You know, first he didn't think they're they're gonna see it, but I mean it was real obvious. You know, NASCAR back back flagged him until he finally, you know, came in and you know and said, hey, you know what? You know, he had he was gonna have to serve it either way. 
Yeah, he said he was a little bit confused. He didn't know if he had to stop at the chicane and wait or if he had to come in for a pass-through. So it took him, I guess, a little while to kind of figure that out. Um, and that was part of the issue there. Um, and then Kurt Busch, again, just just a horrible round for him. Uh, it was too bad for him to not be able to go into that next round. Uh, but Alex Bowman and Eric Amarola, uh, two drivers also that raced really, really hard uh, to get in there. And I know that all those guys are going to be uh, trying to get as high as they possibly can uh, in, in when it's all said and done. Um, now, I do have some uh, post-race audio here uh, from Chase Elliott. Uh, and his uh, uh, conversation after winning uh, in that race. So we also have uh, Alan Gustafson uh, as well. So I'm not sure um, how long this is or if we're here, Alan or Chase Elliott, uh, but let's hear what they have to say uh, after winning that race at uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway. Okay, we're going to continue our post race. Any availability here for today's Bank of America Roll 400. We're now joined by our race. Winning crew chief, Allison. Uh, Allison. Never heard that. So, I need to start over. Alan, <laughs> um, we'll take questions for Alan, not Allison. Um, if you have one, please, <laughs> please raise your hand and state your name and affiliation. Um, and who would like to kick us off? Come on. Somebody wants to. All right. Thank you. Thank you. WilliamsRacingToday.com. Congratulations. Uh, what was the damage that was done when Chase plowed into the tire barrier? Uh, fortunately, you know, there wasn't much. It seemed like it pushed the hood down more than anything and kind of pushed the hood uh, inside top of the fenders and, and uh, kind of pushed it back into the windshield. So the biggest thing that we really had to do is, is get that back sealed up and get it down, um, having that vented isn't the greatest thing in the world for the performance of the car. So, uh, yeah, it was our biggest task. And as long as the splitter was intact and in good condition, uh, no tire rubs, we are going to be in decent shape. So that was the case. We, we got lucky on that. I don't, I don't know how we uh, didn't have more substantial damage than that. I think just, yeah, that, that went our way. Additional questions? Okay. Go ahead. Like some other news. Ellen, what did Chase? say happened when he hit that tire barrier? Well, it's just, you know, those restarts, it's tough to time your speed, you know, when they're out there running laps. They exit that chicane pretty consistently and then, you know, have their braking marker set up. So, in that situation, he was carrying a bit more speed than he had at the restart before and, and uh, you know, I haven't gone back and analyzed if you brake to the same spot or move it in a bit deeper, but nevertheless, he locked up the left front tire and Unfortunately, couldn't get it back and just had to go straight. Okay, Alan Gustafson, the crew chief for the No Line at Hendrick Motorsports, talking about uh, his thoughts after winning at uh, the Charlotte Roval, and uh, especially after uh, Chase Elliott hit the barrier there on that restart. Uh, a lot of people thought that might have taken him out, but he persisted and uh, was able to come back and win the race. Your thoughts about Alan's uh, comments? Yeah, you know it's it's um you know it I mean it you have to go with you know with uh 
um, you know, Driver and, and the team, you know, I mean, they just did a fan, both of them together. You know, it's a fantastic job. You know, it's, it's kind of like they're both, you know, they're running on, on all eight cylinders this week, you know, and they didn't, and they didn't let that, you know, what happened, you know, get the, uh, get the best of them. You know, they, you know, fixed the car and, you know, got him back out there, you know what, and he started enough laps, you know, to, uh, you know, to slowly, you know, you know, inches away back to the front. It was amazing. I mean, I didn't think he was, I thought he, when he hit, the, I thought he was done. Yeah, I think a lot of people thought he was done uh, once he hit that barrier. Uh, and uh, it, it really was an amazing run to see him come back. And I think he impressed a lot of people uh, uh, with that run and the ability to be able to overcome adversity. And that's one of the things we talk about uh, is a sign of a champion when they're able to uh, overcome uh, difficult things that happen and still persevere and go after that victory. Uh, the 42 of Kyle Larson won the first. Uh, uh, Chase Elliott won the second stage. Uh, and uh, there were 10 caution flags for 23 laps in this event. Uh, 13 lead changes among nine drivers, including William Byron, Kyle Larson, Joey Logano, Chase Elliott, Martin Truex Jr., uh, Clint Boyer, Brad Keselowski, Kevin Harvick, Daniel Hemrick, and I think that covers it. <laughs> so a lot of lead changes in that race. Yeah, and whenever you get races like this, you know, you're going to, you know, especially, you know, at this, at this role where you're going to get a lot of lead changes. You know, maybe not so much, you know, when they go to Watkins Glen or they go to Sonoma, you know, it seems like once they get spread out, that's basically it. But with this, with with uh, the way the corners were on this track and the way the track was set up, you know what? There was a lot of obstacles they had to overcome. You know, to drive a perfect a perfect race, you know, from each driver, there was just no way it was going to happen. That's true. And uh, uh, I'm going to let you pick your hot topic from the race because there were several hot topics. Uh, which one do you want to talk about in our closing uh, comments here? You know, I, you know, everybody's going to talk about the Bubba Wallace, um, uh, Alex Bowman incident. You know what, you know, Alex had enough of the, you know, getting flipped off, you know, during the race, you know what? Well, you know, Alex, you know, we like you a lot. You know, I, and, you know, I understand where you're coming from, but you know what? Don't look out your side, the side of the car. Look straight ahead. You know what you're racing. You know what? And don't let, don't let somebody <laughs> like that get under your skin. It, it, it almost costed you. You know, it came close to costing you know spot in the you know in the chase. You know, he almost was eliminated because of that. You know, because when you when you hit somebody, there's no guarantee that you're gonna you're gonna be on the good end of it either. <clears throat> We've seen a lot mm-hmm. of drivers bump other drivers. You know what? And we see what happens. You know, they both end up in the wall or off the track, you know, and, um, you know, and I think that's going to be one of the, you know, one of the things, you know, between him and, um, and he had a, gosh, I forget who the other driver was that he had the incident with too. And they were talking about, you know, that, you know, with the, with these drivers not being in the, you know, the chase, you know, that Austin Dillon. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't think Bubba Wallace is going to go as far as to do some, I think Austin Dillon would be the one, I think he's a little bit more of a, a dirtier driver, you know, than than uh than well, what he threw Bo water Wallace at him after the race. Yeah, I mean, 
that was funny. I mean, I I thought it was, you know, given the circumstances, you know, it was hot. You know, when he got out of the car, he wasn't feeling well. He wasn't feeling well, you know, all week. You know, then he gets out of the car, you know, and he's hot. You know, it's, you know, 90-something degrees outside. It's 100-something in the car, you know, and, you know, Bubba caught through the water at him, you know, which is, you know, probably cooled him off a little bit. But, I mean, it probably pissed him off even more because, you know, that's, that, that's, that's an insult, you know, when somebody goes up and, you know, he talks to you and then just throws water at you and then walks away. But we'll see what NASCAR has to say about yeah. that on Tuesday, on tomorrow. Yeah, Steve O'Donnell's already uh, kind of mentioned that he may, they'll talk about it and definitely have a conversation with Daryl Wallace Jr., Bubba Wallace, about that incident. Uh, I think what kind of um, made it bad for, for him in doing that is that uh, Alex Bowman was getting medical attention at that point. And so it wasn't just uh, Alex that kind of uh, got the the water. It was uh, the people that were attending to him uh, at that time as well. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see how NASCAR responds to it and, and what happens uh, uh, moving forward. But uh, I think for both of those drivers, uh, there were learning opportunities. We'll just say that. Uh, and I'll have more comments in our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, that's coming off here at the top of the hour. Uh, but, Sal, uh, I always enjoy uh, talking with you about these races uh, uh, this weekend. We had a couple of really good guests uh, this weekend. Uh, this weekend on tonight's show uh, with uh, Nick Sanchez and uh, Derek Krause. Uh Nick Sanchez, of course, in that first half hour, we apologize for the technical difficulties we had in getting Nick on the, Nick on the show but we appreciate his persistence in continuing to call back, and we finally did get a chance to chat with him. He gave us a great interview, and then again in the second half hour with Derek Krause. Uh, so thanks to both of those guys for being on the show here tonight as well. Oh, oh yeah. You really, we always have to thank our guests, you know, thank our listeners, you know, and, you know, everybody involved with the show, all, you know, all the hard work, you know, that you put into it, you know, to keep it going and, you know, for all these years and, and, you know, we always have next week, you know, another race coming up this weekend and another show next week. Okay. And, uh, Sal, what are you going to be doing this weekend? Uh, our seasons are over, over here. Oh, okay. Our, our late model season. So ended, no more races? Uh, actually, yeah, there'll be more races. There'll be still got a couple more SL races. I got the, uh, Two uh, two K N races. I'm not sure about Phoenix yet. I'm I'm not sure if I'm going to make it to Phoenix. I I want to go, but I'm it's kind of up in the air. Then I'm I'm looking at NHRA at the, at the next month in um in uh in Vegas. So oh, cool. I'll know I'll know I'll know more tomorrow this week if I'm going to make it out to NHRA. Um, going to go out there with another fellow photographer, and um, it's been uh, three years since I had my surgery since I've been able to shoot any Troy, so I'm really looking forward to getting back out there. So um the uh oh, Las Vegas cool. Nationals are coming up. Yeah, they're coming coming up the weekend of the November first, second and November first, second and third. Actually October thirty first. Okay. November first and second that weekend. So I'm looking forward to getting back out and doing some NHRA stuff. Well Sal, we always appreciate everything you do. 
uh, here at Fan for Racing Radio. And uh, like I said earlier, we I enjoy uh, looking forward to Monday nights and uh, chatting with you. I'll try to get a few hot topics in for you because I know you can't stay with us uh, when we move into our next segment here. So thank you for, for all that you do. All right. Thanks, everybody. Everybody have a good weekend. Good night. We'll talk to you next week. Okay. Next week, uh, Monday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, we'll be back here on Fan for Racing Radio for our NASCAR Hot Topic Review. Uh, Take care, Sal. And with that, we're now at the top of the hour. That means it is time now for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And joining me now is uh, Jay Sisman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, hopefully Andy's coming as well. I didn't see anything from him today that said he wasn't. So. Yeah, I didn't either. Sometimes I know he runs a little late because uh, he's coming in from work. Uh, I'm hoping Andy makes it as well because we've got some pretty hot topics uh, to talk about here tonight. Uh, and uh, I'll be curious to hear what he has to say. Um and uh, let's go ahead and kick it off. Hopefully, Andy will come in. I will say, we did have some technical difficulties earlier. Uh, Sal and I both had a hard time calling into the show. Uh, our first guest, Nick Sanchez, had a heck of a time uh, getting in. Thankfully, he was persistent enough to get in, and we were able to talk with him. Did you have any trouble today? No, not at all. Okay, so maybe that problem's uh, taken care of. Uh, but let's go ahead and get into our, our first hot topic. I think the hottest topic of the weekend, uh, it's hard to choose one of the hottest topics, but let's just start with the one that Sal and I were talking about, uh, the incident with uh, Alex Bowman and uh, Bubba Wallace uh, not seeing eye to eye uh, and uh, eventually uh, – <laughs> taking care of some of it on the racetrack and some of it off the racetrack after the race. So let's get your thoughts about that, uh, Jay. Well, and that's one that I know uh, Andy mentioned uh, early and uh, early yesterday, and I hadn't had the chance yet to watch the race. I watched it off of a recording last night, so kind of got caught up to where he was at. And then there was more follow-up to that with that. And start with the on-track mm-hmm. incident, I guess to me that was a little – over the top, on my opinion, from, from Alex Bowman. I mean, I understand he was frustrated. He's a playoff driver. Uh, we've had that discussion of a playoff driver versus a non-playoff driver. But, you know, again, especially in NASCAR, they still have the right to be there. They're still racing for something. So I, I don't know that his spinning, uh, spinning Bubba Wallace out in retaliation was the most appropriate. Following the race, I understand Bubba Wallace's frustration, but given the situation with Alex Bowman obviously being dehydrated, sitting down, medical staff there attending uh, to him, uh, I understand, again, his frustration, and I love to see emotion from the drivers. I don't want drivers being like, well, I'll just text them later or not talk about it or whatever. You know, the situation, uh, maybe maybe should have been thought through a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I I, I can't say I blame him. You know, like I said, he was frustrated. He he brought it forth immediately. He didn't hold on to it and take it out on the track next week or whatever. But again, he was being attended to by medical staff at the same time. So 
it's one of those, uh, just a, an unfortunate situation, but I don't know that I would hold it against anybody in, in all that, how it happened. You know, like I said, I understand Alex, Bo- Alex Bowman's frustration. I think what he did on the track was a little over the top, especially in reaction to, I guess, a finger being out the window for a couple of laps uh, is what the gist of it came. Obviously, they were racing hard. It's the Roval. I mean, that's going to happen. Um, and so I also then understand, though, Bowman getting to that point where whatever his line was, it got crossed, and he, he uh, took action to follow. Okay. Uh, joining us now is our co-host, Andy Lasky. And, Andy, we're talking about the incident between – or incidents, I should say – between uh, Bubba Wallace and Alex Bowman at the show at Roval yesterday. Uh, I'm anxious to hear your thoughts about that. Oh, boy. Yeah, I certainly saw the highlights. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the Roval, of course, you know, last year and this year has really uh, provoked short track type racing and short track type tempers, and I think that's what we saw here. Um, I don't blame Bubba Wallace at all, honestly. I feel like he um, – you know, was, he he felt wronged, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, there was a lot of hard racing on the track between him and Alex Bowman, and, um, you know, there were some frustrations there that ultimately led to the 88 uh, taking out the 43, Um, you know, and I, I feel like, I feel like Bubba had every right to be frustrated by that, I mean, hand gesturing is, is an every week occurrence amongst the, you know, half the field, so, for, here's the deal. Alex Bowman has a lot more to lose than Bubba Wallace does. Alex Bowman's a playoff driver. Mm-hmm. And for him to get frustrated by being shown the finger to the point where he then took out the 43 car, and for, I mean, that's the second week in a row he's had a run-in with somebody. Last week was Austin Dillon. This week it was Bubba Wallace. He's not going to make it that much further into the playoffs if he continues to get in these on-track incidents every single week. I mean, that's the thing. If you're a playoff car, you know, you got to pick and choose your battles. And unfortunately, he's picked two battles two weeks in a row with non-playoff cars who, quite frankly, don't have much to lose. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and if you're – so, honestly – um, I understand the frustration on both sides of the coin. Certainly, you know, Alex felt like he wasn't being raced fairly, and I think Bubba kind of pushed back because of that. So, um, you know, in terms of the way he thought he was being raced by the 88 car, um, you know, so in terms of specifically his Bubba Wallace's actions after the race, I mean, I yes, Alex was being treated for dehydration, but I mean, I, I understand Bubba's frustration, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a single car mm-hmm. team without, they don't have a huge budget, you know, and, and we're talking about torn up race cars and, and unnecessarily. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like, I feel like I understand Bubba's frustration. I don't have a problem with how he handled himself after the race. And I feel like Alex Bowman, really uh, has a lot of learning to do if he expects to make it that much further into the playoffs because it's, you know, he's he's got a lot more to lose than a non-playoff car. Yeah, it's interesting that you put it that way because that's exactly what my thinking was. But my thinking is that I think there were learning opportunities there for both of those drivers. I understand, and, and you guys brought up these points very, very well, there's the heat factor involved in all of this. There's the pressure of the playoffs involved in all of this. There's the Volvo that, they, that they've only driven on twice 
uh, and a lot of learning that's still taking place there. Uh, but you put all those things together, and yeah, it's, it's kind of produced uh, a lot of what we saw at the racetrack between those two drivers. Now, um, uh, I, I think both of them were wrong. I think both of them have an opportunity to, to learn uh, from those two experiences. You're wrong. Alex Bowman can't be resp- acting to those kind of things uh, because that's an every, every weekend occurrence. Uh, somebody's got their finger out the window. So he's going to have to learn to kind of manage that a little bit better and keep his focus, I think, on what his job is, uh, and that's to to race his race and not everybody else's races. He has to kind of focus because that incident actually hurt him. Uh, Like you said, he had more to lose there, uh, and and it wasn't a real smart thing to do. Uh, I think that that, uh, he needs to keep his focus on what he needs to do at the track to move himself forward. Uh, I I really think that, although I do understand his frustration, I do understand where he's coming from, I think that he's got to pick his time and place (laughs) in order to take – to take action uh, and have that conversation with Alex Bowman. And when you two people getting medical attention, uh, that's the wrong time and place. And I think he could have chosen a different way to handle that. Uh, I know he wanted to do something more than just throw water at Alex Bowman, and that probably felt pretty good to Alex Bowman at that point uh, to have some water thrown on him. Uh, but at the same time, um, uh, I think he should have just taken a minute, step back, and think about it before he did that, and especially with the cameras on him. Um, well, he shouldn't have done it whether the cameras are on him or not, in my opinion. Um, I understand the frustration. I get it. Um, and and I understand the frustration with, um, to some degree with Alex Olsen, too. But, again, I think their timing and their, their focus was just in the wrong place uh, in both of those instances, and uh, I know Steve O'Donnell has said that he's going to have a conversation with Bubba Wallace. Uh, we'll see if anything else more than that takes place, uh, and I'm sure Rick Hendrick is going to have a conversation with with uh, Alex Bowman. There's uh, two incidences now kind of piling up there for Alex Bowman, and he can't let these non-playoff drivers get under his skin. He's got to keep his focus on what his race is uh, moving forward, and that's the learning that I'm hoping to see from both of those drivers moving forward. So I kind of want to go around the horn to see if there's any follow-up. Jay, we'll start with you. Yeah, one thing I one, one thing I think you pointed out very well is that they were both in the wrong. I mean, at, at certain points. <laughs> um, like I said, I you know Bubba Wallace obviously frustrated. Um, picking the time of while he was still under medical care. Again, I know it was just dehydration. He wasn't just sitting there. But, uh, again, not the most appropriate, uh, whether it was in, the, in front of the cameras or not. I, I don't know if that was, to me, that aspect of it wasn't there. But, um, again, that you're being attended to by a medical person, you know, and he didn't necessarily know exactly what the medical attention was for. So, uh, you know, a little across the line there. And as you mentioned, Alex Bowman on the track, Andy pointed it out. That's been two weeks in a row between Alex Bowman and somebody. So what's the common factor there, you know? (laughs) 
Okay, were you done, Jay, or did uh, you yeah, cut that, off? Yeah, that was. Okay, Andy, your your follow up. <clears throat> I, I don't really have too much to say. I mean, um, I guess I, I feel like you know everyone's been kind of hard on what Bubba Wallace did because it was caught on camera post race. I understand, you know, throwing water in someone's face, you know, while they're receiving medical attention, probably not the ideal scenario, but I mean, at the same time, when you're fresh out of a race car after a hot, long day, you know, typically you don't necessarily think or say things rationally. We've certainly seen that, you know, we see it every year, you know, at times. I mean, think back to to Boyer at the All-Star race with Newman. I mean, he had time to think about that. He probably wouldn't have done that either, you know. So, I mean, things happen um, fresh out of the car. So, I I really can't fault Bubba, you know. I'm sure if he had time to think about it, he wouldn't have done it. But, I mean, you know, in terms of what happened between, you know, with both of them on the racetrack, I think it was simply heat of the moment, you know. So, I I think that honestly feel like Bubba has received some unfair criticism. At the same time, I think, you know, obviously, you know, they're both frustrated with each other and hopefully they get a chance to think about it and talk about it this week because if you're Alex Bowman, you need to try to diffuse these situations going into this next round um, because, mm-hmm. you know, if if you're a non-playoff car, you can you could really make life miserable for, for, uh, for a playoff car, you know, at, at any of these three racetracks coming up. So um, hopefully they get a chance to figure it out. I've obviously... Um, you know, a gusty performance by Alex, despite the adversity to get to the round of 12, but um, making that round of eight is going to be um, almost impossible if they don't figure out a way to, to, you know, curtail these incidents on track. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. The only other thing that I have to add, and I'd be curious to know what Bubba Wallace is thinking today uh, as well as Alex Bowman, because I think when both of these guys look back on it, uh, they're going to wish they had handled it differently. Uh, but I will say, in the statements that Bubba Wallace uh, made afterwards, uh, I was a little disappointed in that he said that he felt that uh, Alex Bowman should get an Oscar or an Emmy uh, for his performance, taking an illness after the race. And I thought, wow, that was uh, hitting below the belt, because I don't think he was taking that. I think he really was suffering from uh, heat exhaustion or dehydration or whatever it was after that race. Uh, and I thought those comments were unnecessary as well. But to your point, uh, Andy, I, I do realize it's in the heat of the moment. You know, he's dealing with the heat from that race as well. And, and uh, suffice it to say that both of these guys, I think, said and did something that I, I'm hoping that they'll regret uh, when they look at it today. Sharon, I, I do agree. Uh, Alex, I don't think, was faking it either. In fact, it wasn't just him. Uh, <laughs> there was footage showing uh, Ryan Newman, yeah. you know, trying to cool down after the race as well. It was a hot day. So, no, I don't think uh, I don't think Alex was faking that. In fact, he looks quite uncomfortable, to say the least. So, obviously, a long, yeah. hot day, but certainly – Long hot days, um, you know, on, in that type of racing environment, lead themselves to, to frustrations and certainly a lot of frustrations after this race. And uh, it seems like multiple drivers were unhappy with each other. That's that's the beauty of this uh, this course is that uh, 
it's like a short track, and it just lends itself to that type of uh, environment, which is entertaining for us as fans. So. Okay, with that, Andy, I'm going to let you uh, move on to the next topic here. What's our next well, hot topic? I think we have to talk about, you know, those who were eliminated uh, going into, you know, leaving the round of 16 to this round of 12. Um, I, I think, honestly, you know, I'll give my take in a minute, but certainly when you look at Eric Jones, Kurt Busch, Eric Almarola, and um, – and Ryan Newman being eliminated there, to me, were some surprises there. So certainly interested to see what you thought about that. Uh, Jay, I'm going to let you go first. <laughs> well, going back, uh, you know, and it, and it could have played out several ways. Going back to the article I wrote about it um, and all the analysts I listened to prior to even doing my own article on it, that Eric Jones, Ryan Newman, uh, were two that were pretty much picked across, and Eric Almarola, um were picked across the board by pretty much everybody as ones to not make. Now, obviously, Newman could have. I believe it came down to one point, and we've had that discussion before. Mm-hmm. One point is valuable. So um, there were also several when I did mine that I said either put on the bottom out or the top in that it could go either way, Clint Boyer being one of them. He stepped up and has run really good in these playoff races. Bowman stepped up and ran some good races and persevered. So, you know, they stepped up when they needed to. And Ryan Newman did, too. I mean, he just came up a little short. Uh, Eric Almarola and Eric Jones, just the way they had been running as of recent. And when I include Eric Jones in that, he runs good. He just didn't seem to finish good, which is what happened in these chase races. You know, he came off the win at Darlington and certainly was a now possibility to make it. But just with the based on the way their season had gone, uh, the history at the tracks, and I know the Roval obviously doesn't have a whole lot of history to it, but uh, it just seemed like the momentum and the way they were running this year, those were the ones that didn't. But like I said, Clint Boyer, uh, Ryan Blaney, I think at one point was one of them that was out and got back in throughout his race. He's another one that through what we've seen from the year, we haven't seen a lot of top speed out of them. So, they were really right even on that cutoff line of not only making the, the playoffs, but whether they were going to be in that first group of four. The one that surprised me and that has kind of happened maybe mid-season on, a shift in that momentum, if you will, was Kurt Busch. And he had an extremely bad first three races to start this playoffs and, and put him in, in as bad a position as Eric Jones. To me, that is the one surprise that I wouldn't have expected there, uh, barring any bad races, which he had, but I, I, we talked about that when Kyle Larson got hot. It was almost like Kurt, Kurt Busch went cold. Okay. Are you done? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, uh, my thoughts were, were uh, uh, that it was pretty much to be expected. When you think about uh, – how these guys ran throughout the um, uh, the first round of the playoffs. Uh, Eric Jones and Kurt Busch just had horrible first rounds, and uh, their results actually ended up showing it. I was disappointed. I really hoped that both of those guys would make it into um, the um, uh, next round, but it just wasn't meant to be. Their, their cars uh, just did not support them. 
uh, in that first round of the playoffs. Uh, I thought watching the three drivers, Mark uh, Alvarosa, Ryan Newman, and uh, Alex Bowman, uh, I said it earlier, there were times I was on my feet. I, could, I was having a hard time sitting down just watching what was happening between those three drivers and how hard they were all racing uh, to be able to get into that 12th spot. Uh, and and uh, to see what Alex Bowman did there at the end when he did focus uh, and he had to race uh, for that race win, um, he raced his way up into second place, uh, passing some really good drivers with Kevin Harvick and Martin Truex Jr. Um, was really impressive. Um, and uh, I thought those guys did everything they possibly could uh, to go after that 12th place spot. That's what we want to see when we're watching a like this. And I think that's what the playoffs and these elimination races have given us as fans uh, to be able to watch throughout the race. It's not just about who wins, uh, which Chase Elliott, by the way, gave us a fantastic uh, viewing uh, race as well uh, by, by having the adversity and then going out there and getting that victory. But that aside, um, uh, I just think that the elimination race has, has really given us uh, some fantastic racing. And the Roval, oh, my, <laughs> that, too, gave us some fantastic uh, viewing uh, as an elimination event. So um, I think the right guys ended up on the outside looking in, uh, and any one of them could have been on the inside uh I don't think those guys could have given anything more than what they did. So, Andy, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Well, it's it's 50-50 for me in terms of, you know, those who I feel like, you know, didn't make it versus who I felt like should have made it. Um, Eric Jones, I, I honestly felt like when you look at his performance through the summer and you look at, you know, his big win in the Southern 500, I feel like he had the momentum to, to – really excel into the playoffs and not make the first or second round, but go into the third round and, and potentially join his teammates. I know there was some talk, you know, on both NASCAR America and race hub about, you know, potentially being a, an all Joe Gibbs final four, which is extremely hard to pull off. And unfortunately won't happen for that team this year, but you know, there was some speculation that, you know, Jones could go very deep into the playoffs and I felt like he could, um, but it just all came unglued, really. Uh, mechanical failure at Vegas and, um, you know, an illegal car at Richmond and then, you know, more problems with the Robo. So it was really just an atrocious round for that team. You know, really never had a chance um, following Richmond. And then um, Kurt Busch would be the other surprise. I mean, given his talent and what he's been able to do this year with that number one team, felt like that was a team that could easily at least make the second round. So, you know, but they had, you know, poor performances and obviously that, that wreck at Vegas really kind of set the tone for that team. So to me, that was the two big surprises. Um, you know, Al Marola, you know, if you look at his results this year, that's really been kind of a down year for that team. Um, I mean, it's no surprise that, Stuart Haas in general hasn't been what it was last year, but I think in particular the 10 team has really kind of been underperforming to, you know, to a certain extent. So um, specifically the summer, if you look at the results throughout the summer, they, they kind of just 
they got into the playoffs, you know, without too much difficulty, but, you know, they've been struggling and um, this round proved it, unfortunately for that team. So disappointing to see Eric's a great guy, obviously. And, you know, you hate to see that, but their, their results just haven't really been there this year. And then, Newman, on the other hand, I feel like has outperformed, you know, expectations and done a nice job in that six car, given, you know, where that team has been. But um, to me, that was really a one round and done um, team. I I didn't really expect them to go too much further. So um, to me, 50-50, you know, with with Jones and Bush being, to me, the big surprises and and Almirola and Newman, not so much. But, um, you know, I guess that's the that's how the playoffs go sometimes. Okay, follow up, Jay. Yeah, like I said, the only one there is is I had given the benefit of the doubt to Newman, just kind of again the momentum they had been on and grinding it out. Uh, that I really I did have him up into the next round, not any further than that. Like you said, I mean that uh, it gets to a certain point where you got to be top five week in and week out battling for wins. But I did have him as one that would be able to grind it out. In this case, it happened to be Alex Bowman that did, and not Newman. Right. Okay, let's move on to the next topic, unless you have any follow-ups, Andy, because I don't. No, no follow-ups. Okay, Jay, what's your next topic? As it pertains to the Roval, and I know, again, this is only the second year of the race, um, but with the chicane, uh, we've seen this, uh, we saw a couple incidences in the Monster Energy Cup race, but the more prevalent one to me was in the Xfinity series of being forced below or forced into missing the chicane and having to do a stop and go penalty. And I almost use the words there, forced below the line, because I go back to Talladega and Daytona where they have the the double yellow line you cannot cross. But there, if you're forced below there, NASCAR will punish the one that forced you below it not the individual who ended up down there. For some reason on this road course, on this roval, they they went the opposite way, and they don't care how you got there. If you're down there, you need to do the stop and go, even if you were forced down there. So I'm just kind of curious as to what you guys think the thought process on, on that is different than the double yellow line at Daytona and Talladega. Okay, Andy, I'll let you go first. Yeah, this one, man, I don't know. I, I feel like you, a driver shouldn't be penalized for that. You know, if you get forced to where you miss the chicane, which we saw a lot over the weekend, I, I feel like, you know, you really shouldn't be penalized for it. So maybe that's a rule that can be tweaked, you know, going into next year. Um, but I, I, I definitely feel like there were multiple instances where, um, you know, a driver was forced off the track into the chicane. And, and granted, you know, we saw some drivers make mistakes where they put themselves out of the chicane. In, in that case, sure, mm-hmm. you deserve a penalty. But if you're forced out, I'm, I'm not sure that it warrants a penalty. So, you know, maybe that's something they can look at and, and try to tweak for next year. Yeah, it is interesting. I know, uh, I know what you're referring to with the double yellow line at some of the tracks. That the drivers can't go below, go below that. And part of that rule is that you can't advance yourself if you do go below that double line. Um, it's it's hard to advance yourself and go uh, outside of the chicane um, with uh, the way the setup is on the roval. So it's a little bit different in that respect. 
Um, and I think it all depends on your perspective in, in some of these cases. I know um, Chris Bell was pretty shocked that he was uh, given a penalty. Uh, he, I don't think he was expecting that. Uh, he thought that it might be one of those situations where there's an exception uh, to the rule. And it, he said, I guess it's not <laughs> because he did get the penalty. Um, uh, it, it is something that I'm sure NASCAR is probably going to take a look at. <clears throat> but NASCAR, I think, made it real clear in the drivers' meeting and throughout the weekend. And even the guys, even the announcers uh, said that, uh, you know, if all, the, the rule simply says if all four wheels are outside of the chicane, it's a penalty. And they didn't put any caveats to it or anything else. They just said if all four wheels are outside of the chicane, it becomes a penalty. And in that case, if you go by the letter of the rule, then there was a penalty. And we're at that mark where I'm going to interrupt myself and just let everybody know at the 1030 mark, we are going to go off the air, but we will continue recording so that fans can hear the rest of the conversation. Um, and you can hear our podcast uh, once we're all done via all of the links that we've already put out on social media, as well as the player that we have available at fanforacing.com. Um, for those listeners that listen to the live broadcast, all you have to do when the podcast becomes available, just fast forward to that uh, two-hour mark and listen then to the rest of the conversation. Um, and I will post a link on Twitter uh, once that podcast has become available. Um, so, uh, again, we're just letting fans know that uh, we go off the air at 1030, but we do continue recording for some bonus overtime material. With that, I'm going to kind of go on with my conversation. And I think if, if you look at it by the letter of the rule and the way NASCAR put it out there, they, they didn't put any exceptions to the rule out there. They said if all four wheels go out of the chicane, it's a penalty. Um, so and if you look at the letter of the rule, Christopher Bell had all four wheels outside of the chicane, and it was a penalty. Um, and I think in Ryan Newman's case, I think there was some confusion on his part whether he had to um, uh, do the pass-through penalty or whether he had to do the stop-and-go. Uh, and, and that's part of the problem, I think, in why uh, there was some confusion on his part. But I don't know. I'd be curious to know what your guys' thoughts are. I know you guys think it needs to be reviewed, but looking at the letter of the law, the way NASCAR put it out there for all of the drivers this weekend, I think they followed through on what they said. Uh, so, Jay, we'll start with you. You, you are 100% correct. As the rule is stated for the Roval, they indeed did enforce it that way. They didn't care how you got down there, that if you, you were out, out of bounds or uh, uh, four wheels inside the turtles, turtles, that, yeah, you had to do the penalty. And I'm not disputing that. They enforced it that way, and they made it, like you said, quite clear that if you're there, you're penalized. I just don't understand, though, of, of why they didn't allot for the same as they do on the super speedways of if you're forced down there. And I know they don't want to get into the whole game of making judgment calls and whatnot, but why the two mm -hmm. of them aren't the same it was, is my 
concern, and I'd like to ad- them to address it one way or another. Either Talladega go to, hey, we don't care how you get below the line, or the Roval, they say, hey, if you were forced down there, we'll give you the a pass. But you are, like I said, you are you are right. They definitely enforce it by the rules they stated going into the race. Mhm. Andy. Well, I mean, <clears throat> as it pertains to some of the incidents, you know, I think in some cases, you know, these drivers were forced, you know, to miss the chicane. In other instances, you know, I feel like they kind of put themselves in that position, and that's something we can talk about on the, on the next topic, you know, that I, I bring up. But, um, you know, I, I, I think it's certainly a judgment call by NASCAR, you know, and I think that that's why they made some of the calls that they did. Um, you know, it's a really difficult part of the racetrack, and I feel like, you know, if if a you know, if you if you push the issue and you try to stay to the outside of the driver that has the preferred line, you're going to put yourself in a difficult spot. So I'll leave it at that because that kind of leads into the, the next topic. But um, just kind of looking at some of, you know, these incidents over the weekend, you know, in some cases the driver was forced with no ability to, you know, make a reactive move. In other cases, you know, I think drivers kind of did it for themselves. So in that case, you know, yeah, you do deserve a penalty. Well, it will be interesting to see if NASCAR does indeed review that and make any changes for the future. But I think, you know, we have to kind of, that's kind of a, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Uh, My next topic, uh, I happened to see on Twitter, I didn't realize that this had happened, but NBC Sports is uh, reporting that uh, there's a $25,000 fine for Daniel Suarez. As all know, I like Daniel Suarez. Uh, but apparently in his conversation with uh, 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 Ryan Newman after the race, uh, he made some racial slurs uh, that NASCAR was not very happy with, and that I don't agree with. So as much as I like Daniel Suarez, I think NASCAR did the right thing in penalizing him, the 20, fining him the $25,000, and it will be interesting to see if there's anything else that goes along with that or if that's going to be it. But I want to get uh, your guys' thoughts about that, and Andy, we'll start with you on that one. I'll be honest, I uh, did not even know about this until just now, so this is my initial reaction. But, uh, yeah, wow, um, you know, racism doesn't have a place in the sport or any sport or in life in general, so uh, the fact that, you know, they caught it and picked up on it and penalized them. I, you know, kudos to NASCAR for that. You know, it's a two-way street, and we often, you know, you know, see – we don't often see it, um, you know, towards someone I, – I guess Ryan Newman would have been who it was towards. We don't often see that, but, um, you know, again, it's there's no place for it. It's, it shouldn't be tolerated in general. It shouldn't be tolerated any place for that matter, and, uh, you know – Good for NASCAR. I got to side with them on this one. You know, that's, I think they did the right thing. Okay. I'm I'm with Andy. That that's news to me. I hadn't even seen anything on that. Um, I was kind of scrolling through there while he responded and trying to find something, um, not knowing any of the yeah, specifics to it. No. Daniel Suarez in your search. <laughs> it's reported by NASCAR on Fox. Oh, it okay. says NASCAR um, no Fox. Oh, it might be one of those situations again where I got caught. 
with a charity oh. account. Okay. And that's been happening uh, before when I. Yeah. We've all we've all been there and fell for it. I know I did too. Um, I, like I said, and I had because I hadn't seen anything anything on it um, from any of the the sources that I follow. But um, in the event of it being true, I would have to agree with Andy that NASCAR is doing the right thing. Um, if not, we got to again find some way of eliminating these false reporting news sites. <laughs> Yeah, I'm disappointed that that's two times now I've gotten caught by that. And usually during the show when I'm perusing for any late-breaking news. Uh, so my apologies there. I think I got caught by a um, by a parody account that is reporting false news. So let's move on. Andy, I'm going to go on to your next hot topic. <laughs> well, we'll just... I guess all I can follow up by is saying, you know, I'm glad that's false because that's not the kind of news you want to see. Yeah, me so, too. You know, that's a good thing. Um, I guess, you know, you know, kind of following up on the, the chicane topic would have to be the Chase Briscoe, Christopher Bell incident. I think that was a pretty well-documented topic from Saturday's race. Kind of wanted to get your take on that for sure. That was That was kind of a big one too for the weekend. Okay. Yeah, that, and that's one, like I said, that's what that really made me put it on the list for hot topics was uh, to start with was that incident during the uh, the Xfinity race there. Because, again, uh, Christopher Bell, to me, had a race winning car or at least a, a car able to compete for the win. And that really did cost him. So um, I think that was one where I felt like, like I said, that they need to maybe review that and look at they have to make a judgment call if a car is forced there of why then penalize that car and not the other one. Um, so I do think that NASCAR does need to review that rule as it pertains to the roval. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way, Jay. I feel like we kind of already addressed that in talking about, uh, you know, whether NASCAR needs to review it. And I do think they need to review it. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do about that particular incident. I don't think they're going to change it at this point. Because NASCAR was real clear about, you know, what their expectations were about being outside of the chicane, and and Christopher Bell was certainly outside of the chicane. Um, <clears throat> I don't think they can reverse it at this point, but I think that they do need to look at it moving forward. Um, so, Andy, I'm I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on there, and if yeah, you have something new to kind of add to that. Well, this, this one was kind of interesting to me. I had to I had to watch the replay like five times to try to figure out what I feel like occurred, you know, because you know there was there was talk about Briscoe forced him, you know, into the chicane, you know, and whatnot, and and vice versa, you know, you know it was Bell's fault. So correct me if I'm wrong, and I'd love to hear some rebuttal on this, but it looked like you know Chase had a, a really good run on him made the move to the inside, but the problem with that particular area of the racetrack is it's really it's really single groove, if I'm not mistaken, you know, and there's only really one racing line. You can't really run side by side through there. So Chase took the preferred line, and in doing so, Bell didn't lift. And by not lifting... Mm-hmm. They, they they stayed side by side. They made contact. Bell kind of 
pushed himself out of the chicane. So that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier was that, you know, some of these drivers legitimately got forced. Others kind of forced themselves to miss the chicane. I feel like that's kind of what Bell did because unless his spotter didn't tell him the 98 was inside, you know, if you know the car's inside in that particular area of the racetrack, you kind of have to lift or you're going to put yourself in a bad spot. And that's kind of what I feel like the 20 did. You know, I mean, obviously, to play devil's advocate, that was an extremely aggressive move by Briscoe at that point in the race, you know, but he made the move to try to make the pass because he had a car that was capable of winning the race. So, I mean, I don't know. It, it certainly, to me, was um, – you know, it's just aggressive racing, really, and you can't really fault either one of them for what happened there. But I feel like, you know, if the 20 had lifted and, and given up that spot, this would be a non-issue. But obviously, they it happened. The 20 was forced to miss the chicane. They raced side by side, and then subsequently the 20 dumped the 98. So, I mean, that's, that's what happened there. So, um Hard racing, obviously, I don't expect any spillover from it there, but I feel like if, if Bell had used a little give and take there, this wouldn't have happened. Uh, Jay? Well, and now that's where it gets to be the same as Talladega and Daytona with the, at the super speedways with that line of don't put NASCAR in the position where they have to make it a judgment call. You know, that's one of those, like Andy pointed out, it, Bell could have avoided it by checking up a little bit or picking a better spot. So, um, you know, if if it comes down to it, they got to look at that of, of are they forced down there or did, in this case, Bell put himself in the position to be forced down there just by the other driver holding his own line. Um, so, again, then it would be one of those where it would come down to NASCAR making a judgment call. And maybe that's why then, they're not in this case saying, Hey, we're not going to do judgments. You're there or you're not. If you're there, you're penalized. But my thing would be then do the same at Talladega with the super speedway at the super speedways with the yellow line of, Hey, you're either below it or you're not. We're not going to get into who forced you there or whatever. (laughs) Excuse me. We saw it with Brad Keselowski and he got a win out of it. When the car came down on him, he knew he couldn't go below the line. He made sure he didn't go below the line. He won the race, and he didn't get penalized. Yeah, I, I will say the announcers didn't make that comment, though, uh, during the race. When it happened, announcers also made the comment that they felt that Bell probably uh, didn't slow down when he should have in that situation because you're right, Andy. There was one preferred line there. Bristol held his line there, and uh didn't give him a lot of room, but I don't think he could give him a lot of room. The chicane is a really tricky thing to get through there. And there's only one groove. And, and unfortunately, you know, when somebody already occupies that space, uh, you can't force them up <laughs> for that same piece of real estate. And, and Briscoe kind of, or not Briscoe, but Bell kind of put himself into the grass there. And, and that's kind of the way, I kind of saw it as well. Um, but I know there were a lot of people who felt that, you know, that, that Bristol forced him there, but I don't think they were taking into consideration. There's not a, there's not a lot. It's hard to run the high side through that chicane. Um, and there's only that one line that he can run through that chicane. And Briscoe had that, that real estate, if you will. 
and um, and uh, I, I have to agree with the announcers in this case that Bell probably could have saved himself the penalty had he kind of lifted a little bit in that that particular spot because I think by this time they all know that that um, there's only that one line through that chain and there really is. Um, and I think part of that probably has to do with this is only the second race that these guys have had on the Charlotte Roval, and a lot of these guys are still learning what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. But I kind of have to agree with with uh, Jay as well, though, that that could be part of the thing that they're doing is they don't want to make that judgment call. And so the, 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 the black and white rule is if you have four wheels outside of the chicane, you're going to draw a penalty, but um, and I don't know if it should be the same on the on the track on the uh, super speedways. And here's the reason why: because part of the thing is if you go below that double line, you cannot advance your position if you go below that double line. So some people can be below the double line, but they cannot advance their position. And I think that's what they're looking for when a car goes below that double line. Are they consistent with it i i have to say i don't i think there have been instances where there has not been consistency there so i just want to see them be consistent with the rule that they have at the super speedways and i think there's a reason why they have the rule the way they do at the chicane because there's there's not a way for them to really advance their position by being outside um there and um it's I, I think they're right that if the all four wheels are outside, there's a penalty. So, Andy, I'm curious to know your thoughts there. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I I agree. It should it should be treated, you know, like a super speedway race. Um, you know, it's just I I feel like the hard part is just making that judgment call. You know, how do you, how do you determine? Yes. You know, if a driver was forced versus, a, you know, someone who made a, a move that's questionable, and I, you know, to put it in perspective with this, this incident in the Xfinity race, I mean, I had to watch the replay a good five times to really try to understand it because, you know, the first three times I'm like, yeah, it looks like Chase forced in there, and then you look at it closer and you're like, well, if the, if the 20 had, you know, checked, you know, had given – use some give and take it wouldn't have happened so at least that's my opinion on it anyway but i mean that that's the case for you know well, a yellow line incident you know i mean it, but it took it took several times of, of figuring that out you know watching it and you know that's the tough spot that nascar's in too you know how many times do they are they able to review an incident or a replay before they make a judgment call like that you know that's the hard part so mm-hmm. um you know, it because it, it took some. It really did take some kind of analyzing to figure it out. But, um, you know, I mean, but but hopefully, hopefully they find a way to maybe tweak it a little bit because I feel like there were drivers that were penalized when they shouldn't have been, and vice versa. So, um, you know, but but this whole this this course is new. You know, it's only the second year that we've seen it, and you know, certainly with time, I think NASCAR will will learn to understand it better. And in doing so, they can assess penalties better as yeah. well. So I, I think that over time, we'll see things get straightened out. That's a good point, Andy. Um, Jay, you have any other uh, hot topics you want to bring up? 
Uh, other topics, I got uh, several here. I always have a list. Um, I'm trying to remember now if Andy was involved in this one. One of them I'll bring up real quick, uh, to as far as it pertains to the truck series. Uh, one being that NASCAR has opted to not r- allow four sport drivers, uh, Grant Enfinger and Johnny Sauter, to advance into the next round based off the engines that let go on them or they had problems with that the company has acknowledged was on them. So that decision was final, and I don't remember if Andy was able to be involved in that discussion. Um, The second one being the possibility that the rules for the truck series possibly not doing pit stops um, or any of the series, that that may come out here sooner rather than later, as in the next couple of days. And I think it's just the lower series, not not the cup series. Like I said, there wasn't any specifics to that. I know it was discussed as far as a possibility, um, and we'll have to see if it is implemented, where it is implemented. Okay. The, the article I saw was very specific in saying it was the lower tiers, the, the Xfinity and the truck series. Uh, but, Andy, yeah, let's let's hear your thoughts there. Yeah, Sharon, I saw the same thing. The rumor would be trucks and Xfinity. Um, I'll address the pit stops first. I I actually don't have a problem with this. I mean, as an example, Eldora is is one of the races where they typically don't do, they don't do pit stops. I mean, they they do pit stops, but it's uh, controlled pit stops, if you will. So um, I I don't have a problem with this, you know, really. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's a cost-saving measure, certainly. Uh, it, it, it is an, an element of, of the race and the strategy that we've come to know, you know, over time in terms of, you know, a pit stop can sometimes, um, you know, generate and, and have an effect on the outcome of a race. But um, it's a decent cost-saving measure, and, and obviously um, I don't know that I have a problem with it. I don't know that it really will change the on-track product in terms of the type of racing we see. And if anything, it's simply a a cost-saving measure for the teams. You know, and again, we've kind of seen snippets of this with, like, the Eldora truck race. And then I think K&N does the same thing. Um, I guess, Jay, I I might need a little clarification. No pit stops, period, or controlled pit stops? What what what, What have you seen? From my understanding, it would be the controlled stops where you come down in the order you were running, everybody gets a five minute window to do certain limited things or whatever. And then you go back out in the order you came on pit road. Okay. So that's like the Eldora truck race. And that's like what the Canyon pro series does. I don't have a problem with it, honestly. I mean, it, it, um, it really to me doesn't have a huge effect on the race. So um, if anything, it's a cost savings measure, I think. And you know, it's, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with it. Um, and then, See, Andy, that's why we need you on the show. Why <laughs> <like> that? <laughs> <laughs> well, because your opinion was a little bit different than Jay's, in my opinion. I and well, I'll give you a chance to address the second topic here in just a minute. Jay and I, when we talked about this on Monday, my thought was, I, I really feel like I'll let Jay speak for himself, but I really feel like that's going to be a missed opportunity for some of these development drivers that are looking to move up into the cup series eventually, because one of the big things when those guys are coming up from the Arca Menard series or coming up from the Canon pro series, one of their biggest learning curves 
is learning how to deal with the pit stop. And can you imagine if, they, if they've not learned that by the time they get up to the cup series, that they've got to learn how to do a pit stop when they get into cup? Uh, I think that could be a mistake. Uh, I would like to see them use the, campaign, the truck series and the Xfinity series as that learning opportunity for how to deal with those pit stops, uh, which is part of the stepping stone, if you will, to the Cup Series. And I think they need that time in both the Truck Series and the Xfinity Series to learn how to deal with those pit stops. I certainly don't want them learning how to do those pit stops in the Cup Series. So that was my take on it. And, A, I'll let you speak for yourself on that. Uh, that's good because I want to. <laughs> um, I, the 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 cost saving thing is a hundred percent correct, and I understand that's what they're looking at heavily. Uh, what Sharon said, as far as the development, is certainly a huge factor. My thing is, and I, and this is where I disagree with you, Andy. You said it doesn't have much outcome on the race, especially now with stage racing. You talk about teams that set themselves up if they aren't right in the first stage, they put a an early pit stop, give up the points in the first stage, but then go after the second stage or the win. There is huge strategy that comes with when you pit and it, getting on and off pit road before somebody else. So I think it does have a huge impact on the race itself, and I think it is an entertaining aspect to watch when you see different teams have different strategies. Uh, so that and as a fan, yeah, I'm definitely – Exactly. I mean, like I said, there is huge implications with that. So as a fan, I am a fan of it. I understand the look, looking at the cost effectiveness of it and throw a quick note out there uh, as it pertains to something I'll bring up later at the end of the show, a driver, Mike Marler, the Winfield warrior, I talked to him and he understands the concern about development but he said if they were to take that away and he didn't have to provide a whole team, he could, with his team, provide a truck race team out there on a regular basis. So the cost-saving thing is huge. I, I, I agree with that, and I understand their need for that. But it is also um, what you got to find that balance of, as they've talked about before, you're still providing an entertainment product to the fans, which is what drives the business. So. Uh, it's a tough line. I mean, and, you know, if they change it, so be it. We'll have to deal with it. But I don't think that's the only spot they can kind of find to cut costs. Andy, your follow-up to that? And then yeah, I mean, you make some, your comments on the next subject. Well, you make some really good points, specifically about, um, you know, a driver not dealing with green flag pit stops or dealing with a, a – a live pit stop until the cup series, you know, that, that will have implications for a rookie for sure. Um, I, uh, I, yeah, boy, that, that's going to be a, br- you think it's brutal now as a rookie, wait till they, you know, wait till that gets implemented. But, um, you know, you hate to see, you don't want to see pit crew guys lose their jobs either, you know, and that, that may be kind of what we see here to a degree. I think a lot of cup pit crews tend to, you know, work on the Xfinity and truck series team. So it may not have as big of an impact as we think. Um, you know, I, I think that to Jay's point, yes, if they, if they change to, to no pit stops or controlled pit stops, it has a huge 
change on the way the racing currently is, but if they if they change to the controlled pit stops, that simply changes how the race is run, and that may change, you know, how a crew chief tries to do things, too. So um, would it have a severe impact on the way things currently are? Yes, but I think that, you know, crew chiefs and teams will simply have to adapt to the new rules, and they'll just run races a little bit differently. I still think, you know, there may be some strategy involved, but, you know, for instance, I just saw a K&N race a couple weeks ago, with the controlled pit stops, and it's just, you know, the the race goes to yellow, you know, half the field pits, the other half, they, they stop on the back stretch, then the other half comes down pits, and then off you go again. So, um, I, I don't know. I mean, in that particular instance, you know, the drivers that were going to contend for the win still contended for the win. It didn't really change much, I didn't feel like. So, I don't know. Um, but, you know, to your point, yeah, the way we know it, you know, in terms of strategy and, and, you know, a faster pit stop gets you off pit road first, which gives you track position, which now allows you to contend for the win, that aspect of it. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge change for sure. Um, but that just means that races will be potentially run a little bit differently um, in adherence to the new rules, I guess. Um, but I, I don't know that I have a problem with it. I think that it's it's like anything in racing, you know, like, like with the playoffs, you know, it took some getting used to, but you adapt to it. And certainly if they go to, um, you know, controlled pit stops, that's something you get used to and, and we learn to, to deal with it. You know, unlike some of the fans you see on social media, you know, I mean, I, I started watching back in the recent <laughs> cup days when it was all based on based on points. And things have certainly changed a lot since I started watching, but you, you learn to embrace the changes and you keep moving forward. Um, that's that's kind of how I look at it. And then in terms of the whole truck series engine deal, obviously I couldn't be on on uh, Thursday, I believe it was. Um, I, I feel like NASCAR got it right, and I hate to say that in, in the interest of Thor Sport Racing, certainly. You hate to, you hate to see that, but I mean – I, I said it in our, our group message, you know, mechanical failures and in, in wrecking, you know, accidents in DNFs are, are part of the, are part of what happens in racing. And obviously, you know, I, I it's it stinks that it was a, a manufacturer issue with the engines, but you know, teams and drivers have been eliminated for years based off of you know mechanical problems, and so it's kind of a slippery slope, you know, if you allow those two teams, you know, to get back in because of, you know, a mechanical problem with those engines, you know, then, you know, for instance, look at Eric Jones's team, you know, they could argue that there was some mechanical component that broke in their car at Vegas, you know, that caused them to ultimately mm-hmm. not make the next round of the playoffs. So I guess my point is that mechanical failures happen. It's a part of the sport. And unfortunately, you know, it plagues Thor sport racing, but, um, it's just the way it is, unfortunately, and I feel like NASCAR got it right by not allowing them to continue into the playoffs. They were eliminated. It's unfortunate. You hate to see it, but that's the way it goes. That's racing, and you, you move on, and you, you just hope that they get the engines better moving forward. Yeah, and, and you know, I kind of took the side of Thor Sport Racing on uh, Thursday night, and I still uh, totally – 100 percent applaud them for for pushing the issue because uh, I think it's an issue that needed to be pushed. But at the same time, I agree with you, Andy. I think NASCAR did make the right call for all the reasons that you said. 
uh, it was a little bit of devil's advocate taking that side of it on Thursday night, but um, uh, and I certainly don't blame them for for uh, uh, taking it to NASCAR and asking them to make a ruling on it. But NASCAR, I think, did get it right. Jay. Yeah, well, obviously having that discussion with you, uh, I was on the side of it, and just like Andy said, yeah, it, it sucks for them, and I understand it was outside their control, but uh, so a lot of other things mm-hmm. are in racing as well. So um, I think NASCAR did make the right decision, and, and you're right. Uh, you know, it, for them feeling like it was outside of their control to, to ask and, and pursue that, um, you can't blame them at all. Uh, you know, because they really did feel like it was absolutely nothing they could do to control it. It was something they got that way. So you can't blame them for trying. Okay. Uh, uh, Andy, did you have any other topics you wanted to bring up? I know we're at the top of the hour now. No, I don't think so. Those were certainly all the real big ones. You know, obviously the Roval uh, lends itself to a full hour hour's worth of discussion like we had. So, uh, no, I, I don't uh, I don't think so. And uh, looking forward to later this week. Jay, I think you had one more. I was going to say if if we if you want to do it now, if not, I will hold it until Thursday. Yeah, we may need to hold it till Thursday because I don't know if we'll get cut off or not here. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll hold we might on be to pushing it. Our luck. <laughs> okay, uh, with that, let's go ahead and do the roundtable. And Jay, we'll start with you. All right. Well, uh, you can follow me on Michael Hoosman on Facebook, Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And as I alluded to a little bit earlier, this past weekend, wrapping up at Magnolia Motor Speedway. Home of the Black Ice was a Magnolia State Cotton Picking 100, won by the Winfield Warrior, Mike Marler, who uh, ran the truck race and Xfinity, a truck race at Eldora, an Xfinity race at Richmond. And I got a chance to do an interview with him, and that article will be coming here hopefully in the next day, uh, if not by Wednesday. And uh, we'll see how that goes. And I just wanted to, like I said, I talked to him specifically about that rule, uh, the fact that, like I said, he he made the statement that if he could, if they took away the pit stops and off. cut that, cut, might uh, be able to put a truck out there. So uh, again, I will work on that article. And this weekend, I'll be at Greenville Speedway for the Gumbo Nationals. Okay, Andy. <clears throat> Alaski14 on uh, Twitter for all the racing stuff that I do, and uh, looking forward to this week at Dover. Gonna. And since I could not go to Darlington, I'm going to go to the uh, Dover Xfinity race for, I believe, will be probably the last one for the year. So looking forward to the to doing that on uh, Saturday. Okay. I uh, hope you have a good time, Andy. And uh, looking forward to the article, Jay. Uh, we had two uh, great guests on the show tonight with Nick Sanchez. I know we had some te- technical issues during that first half hour with people calling into the show, including Sal and, Sal and I. Uh, Nick did get in, and we did, were able to talk with him, so that was a good interview. Also, Derek Krause from the second half hour uh, from the Can-Am Pro Series West, the uh, race winner. You guys are going to want to check this one out uh, on Friday at 6 on NBC Sports Network. Uh, and I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio elsewhere on social media. And um, uh, our podcast will be available at com via the player uh, right after the show. 
And uh, we thank all of our listeners for tuning in. And uh, we will be back Monday night for, um, well, we'll be back Thursday night for the preview of the upcoming weekend of racing starting at 8.30 with Hot Topics at 10. And again, Monday night afterwards uh, for the review of the weekend of racing and Hot Topics at 10. So uh, thanks to all you guys uh, for all you do. We appreciate uh, everything that you do. Always look forward to Monday nights and Hot Topics on Mondays and Thursdays. And uh, with that, I think we'll call it a wrap. Sounds good. Have a great night. All right. Talk to you on Thursday. Okay. Good night, everybody, and thanks for tuning in.